Welcome to Game Face episode 106 on Sifted. I'm Shane Satterfield. I'm Matt Kyle. And we're here to bring you the biggest and the best in video games for the week. And Matt, we're starting to get into the, the heart of Q4 now. Mm-hmm. More games. About time. More ga- it is. More games than I can play right now. Games, games, and more games. Yeah, the codes just keep That's rolling really into the inbox. Uh, we're going to talk about one game I've been playing on the show. I've also been playing South Park, The Fractured Butthole. I can't talk about that yet, uh, but I am enjoying it. I'll say that much. Um, and then they just keep rolling. I think it's on like on the 27th, there's like three huge games that all come out at once. Yeah, the 27th is Mario Odyssey, Assassin's Creed, and Wolfenstein 2 yeah. all at once. Here we go, baby. I'm excited. Which, which one? Which yeah, one's yeah. first? Yep. So uh, quick check-in on our Patreon. Uh, if you guys are watching this on the stream or maybe you're catching us on YouTube... Uh, if you're really liking our content, please consider pledging some cash to our Patreon. It's creeping along right now. We're still kind of short of our goals, so uh, any help you can give us, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, how's your week been, Matt? Um, Sounds like it's been taken up by... Uh, most, mostly orcs. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Sounds like it's been taken up by one game in particular, and that's what we're going to kick things off with today, and that is Middle-Earth Shadow of War. Which is a very generic title. It is. And very hard to Google for anything. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed. Like, every time it's like, Shadow of War, this thing. It's like, no, it's just a bunch of random, like, RPG things. Like, it's, it's, they should have named it something else. I don't know. Yeah, it does pull up a lot of random results. Now, the first thing I would say, I've not played a lick of this yet. Because, like I said, I've been playing other stuff. I'm glad mm-hmm. you've been playing it. The reviews started coming in, though, and they were a little lukewarm. And I got a little nervous about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I played about 30 hours of it. Um, and uh, which should tell you something right there. Yep. <laughs> um, it's uh, I think it's great. Uh, it is. I mean, the, the the criticisms of it and the reviews are not wrong when they say that there's not a whole lot to do in the world other than relentlessly screw with orcs. But yeah. like that's what we're here to do, and that's kind of you know the story. Is the writing great? No. I mean, it's just sort of like Tolkien fanfic for the most part. Uh, the the Shelob thing was a minor controversy where Shelob is a hot chick now and can, or can become one. Right. Um, it makes as much sense as anything in the Tolkien world. She's sort of be set up as sort of a dark mirror to Galadriel, uh, and like there's a whole thing where you piece together these memories of like her relationship to Sauron back when he was uh, the Lord of Gifts, the the pretty version of himself. Yeah. Um, which you also saw in the first in the first Shadow of Mordor. Um, and there's like a big reveal kind of, a, of what happened with there there when you collect all the memories and it's sort of exactly what you'd expect it to be. Um, in the end, I didn't particularly mind it that much. Uh, she she's, You have to finish all the Shelob quests to get to the conquest part, um, which is only four missions. Okay. Uh, which takes a while because there's some other missions you got to do in between. But it's very much front-loaded. And then once you get... Because she takes the new ring from you at the beginning. And then once you get it back, you can start building the army and taking over the fortresses. So basically, you have to kind of get through this like story sequence, Act 1, to get to Act 2, where the game really opens up and lets you start you know, building armies and playing war chiefs against each other and taking over fortresses and stuff like that. Now, Matt... The first game was Game of the Year at some publications. A lot of people have played it, but I have a feeling that there are a lot of people who have not played it. Can you briefly explain the Nemesis system for people who may not have um, jumped on the first one? 
So basically, uh, each area, there's five areas in the, in the game, as opposed to two in the first one. Uh, and each area has an, uh, an army of orcs. And so there's captains. The majority of them are captains, and I think there's like... Uh, one, two, three, four, five... I think there's like 12 captains in each area. And so those are these just... They're all named, and they're randomly generated, but they all kind of have specific names and types that they are. There's like assassins, and there's hunters, and there's uh, uh, tanks, and there, you know, there's, there's different types... Uh, of their roles, and then they have, um, you know, a particular, a particular. Usually, it's like name the blank, and the blank determines kind of what dialogue they get. Okay. Um, and so it's like a big mix and match thing. So like they all pop up, and you have to get intel from guys to like figure out who's there. And then above them are the war chiefs. And in the first game, there were four war chiefs in each area, and those were kind of the guys you had to sort of, you had to, you can brand them or dominate them in this one which makes makes them turns them blue and makes them yours to command and you can like make them betray the war chief or like you know do whatever you want to do there and like kind of control who becomes the next war chief and and sort of manipulate the army so you have like an inside man basically yep. um now in the first game that's where that stopped now in the new game there are war chief there's there's a various number of war chiefs depending on which fortress you're at and each fortress has an overlord so it's not so you run around the open world map now with the nemesis system uh branding everybody and kind of setting things up how you like with with the orcs but then in the end you still have to invade you have to lay siege to the fortress and that is like a you pick every all your your you know your leaders is like up to 6 I think once you're fully leveled uh and upgrades for them to attack and then the enemy castle has their war chiefs uh, defending the place if you've branded them they can be traitors and you will instantly take over their points that they're holding which is a lot of fun um but basically you have to fight your way through this castle and once you've taken all the points like a, it's like a battlefield game like you have to get, you know you have to take like a point a point b point c um and then once you've taken all the points, you can go into the, the main throne room and you have a big fight with the overlord of the castle, which is usually just you against him and a whole bunch of his friends. And, uh, and if you win, you get the castle. Um, and then in the meanwhile, like the, the nemesis system comes into play where uh, if you're ever killed by an orc, uh, that orc gets promoted and levels up and remembers you. And uh, you can go back and forth a lot because orcs can come back from the dead. They call it, it's called cheating death. So I had a I had an orc in this one early early on, um, who uh, was he was vulnerable to fire. So once you get intel on them, you can see like their strengths. Some of them are immune to various things. Some of them are very vulnerable to some things. Some of them are instantly vulnerable to things. This guy was instantly vulnerable to fire. You set him on fire, he's instantly dead. So I put a, I blew up a, a <laughs> fireplace and fire. I set him on fire, and he instantly <laughs> died. Great. Um, and then a few, like about half an hour later, he shows up again, having cheated death. He's covered in burns now. Wow. Um, and there's other people like where you'll see like they've, uh, yeah, like because you can cut arms and legs and stuff off, and people and you cut arms and legs, and they'll come back with like wooden legs and like wow. like, like bionic arms and stuff, like like you know like machine yeah, arms yeah. and stuff. But this guy comes back, and now he is uh, he is uh, what I don't remember his name, but he was like he was of, he was the flame of war now. Wow! And he had two ax- he had two axes, and now they were on fire. And he like gave me this big monologue about how he he was afraid of the fire, and now he is the fire, and all this stuff. That's incredible. That and, gives the player so much agency, and that's yeah. what really endears you to a game where you feel like you're actually impacting the world. Right. And the, and the thing about the the real draw on this is the orcs, their interaction with each with each other, because there can be blood brothers and brothers that were like. 
like they'll come at you if, if you kill one of the brothers the other one will come after you and ambush you out of nowhere and, and yell at you for killing their brother wow. one of them actually one of them actually ambushed me and got was angry he had to do this because he didn't even like his brother <laughs> but he now I got to do this what a bother and, I get, and there was another one where uh, I got killed I was in a big fight and I just happened to get killed the last hit was a random orc uh-huh. like not a captain it was just a random orc and that orc suddenly got promoted to be a captain because he killed me right and he named himself uh, the tark slayer uh, tark is their word for uh, basically gondorians okay uh, humans and uh and then i went and found after you get killed by one you can have a vendetta mission where you go back and and take revenge and kill them again and like then like that one guy with the, the flame the flame of war that guy we killed each other back and forth like six times like we just it, like he can't kept coming back and leveling up and getting stronger it became legendary which is like the like purple orc so he like would drop better loot but he had all these immunities and basically the at, at some point like the only thing that could hurt him was like was like uh, a particular kind of like arrow or something, a fire thing or something. It was it was weird. It, like he was immune to fire. He was immune to frost. Is that because you had defeated him so many yeah, different ways prior? If you do the same move to them enough, they learn it. And like so, if you, know, you do the thing where you hop over their head, uh, eventually they'll learn that you do that, and yeah, they'll push you off. Oh, and wow. you can't do it anymore. Um, so like eventually you have to keep coming up with new in different it ways. It sounds to, like the to, game could eventually become impossible. No, they always have at least one, and you can always usually do at least one or two different types of normal damage to them. So okay. basically, you just got to get creative. And, the, and at that point, the biggest problem becomes the fact that they usually come with a bunch of followers. So like you're trying to deal with this dude, and there's like little guys running out, and you can counter them pretty well. But when you're countering them, you're not paying attention to the war chief, and he can come at you. To her. I mean, he and I'm. So this not, isn't like Assassin's Creed where they take turns attacking you. No, I mean they, only two will attack you at once that you can counter. But I've been attacked by more than that, and like stuff happens all over the place. I am playing it on Nemesis difficulty, which is the okay. highest because I thought the first game was way too easy. And if you're not dying in this game, you're not seeing the Nemesis system at its best. Right. So yeah. You I mean, want I... you want that. So I can so I th- I can take like two or three hits. From from the, the the big guy, the more the, the powerful guys, and that's about right. Yeah. I think. So I've I've died a fair number of times, uh, and like that, it may, that makes it more interesting that, that like you get these guys that level up special ways and they learn various things. But the, really, the I don't know how they packed all the dialogue for the orcs into this game because it's like it's constant, and like I'm 30 hours in, I've heard maybe three re- repeat lines. Wow. And like that's mainly that's mainly from guys who have come back to life and had the same dialogue. Right. Um, and like. There was a there was the Tark Slayer guy. I went and so I went and killed him. I went into the Vendetta to kill him, and he's and he's like he's like, oh, are you crazy? Don't you know I'm the Tark Slayer and you're a Tark? And like so, and I killed him. <laughs> right. And then as I'm killing him, he's like, that's impossible. You can't slay me. And I like to kill him. And then he came back later. Like, you know, having cheated death again, and he walks in in his big intro, he's like, well, sometimes you get the talk, and sometimes the talk gets you, am I right? And I'm just, I'm just like, it, it's, the way they remember wow. what happened is amazing. That is incredible. And then at one point I ran into it, because some, you'll just hear them talking, they'll talk to each other while they don't know you're there, and one of them was talking about how he decided to start using, um, uh, he decided to start reusing his death threat lines because he's going to kill the person, so who cares if he uses it? Because no <laughs> one's going to know you're reusing that line because you kill whoever you say it to. But he's like, but then that he cheated, the, the guy he killed cheated death and came back, and then I used the same line and didn't realize it. And then he started telling everybody else that I'm, I, re, you know, I reuse my own material over and over again. He's just like, oh, so just, the game is so like it's making fun of its own. Yeah. yeah, it's making fun of the fact that eventually you hear the same lines over and over. 
Um, the story is kind of bland, but like the fact that like you just run around and relentlessly screw with these orcs and like is it offensive to people who are maybe big Lord of the Rings fans? Yeah, but everybody's it is offensive. It's that bad. I mean, it doesn't fit in the timeline. Okay, like it's it's fan fiction. It's it's like it's clearly an alternate timeline for the Lord of the Rings. Like it doesn't. There's no way to reconcile what's in the books with what happens in this game. Okay, like there is no way. Some random undead Gondorian ranger like raised an entire bright lord army and yeah you know, and took over Mordor and then had Mordor taken over back again by Sauron and then everybody went on like nothing happened you right know? like it's it's is it's, it so bad that someone who maybe is a, more a Lord of the Rings fan than a game fan would be. Put I mean, off by I mean, it? not unless you consider Lord of the Rings Holy Scripture. Okay. I mean... Because, you know, there are lots of people who maybe buy one I mean, or Force two Force Unleashed doesn't make any sense either in terms of, like, you know, fitting with a Star Wars story and stuff. I mean, it's just a game that has... It takes some liberties with the source material to make it a better game, really. And yeah. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I am I'm, love the Lord of the Rings movies. I'm not a huge fan of the books to begin with, so... Now, what about if you hadn't... I know this is crazy, but what if you had never heard of Lord of the Rings in your life and you just were consuming this story all on its own discreetly? How does you, it You wouldn't there? know what half of this stuff is. Really? I mean, it's, I mean <laughs> it's, all, it's all about the rings and Celebrimbor and the Forger of the Rings and who Shelob is and Sauron. And I mean, if you don't know the mythology, you're going to be a little lost in who all these people are. Uh-huh. Um, there's an appendix that kind of tells you who everyone is. It's fine, you know, but like you're not here for this story. You're here to you're here to mess with orcs, yeah, and take over these castles. And like so, once you take over a castle or a fortress, you can then go. There's an icon where you can go uh, take over an online fortress. And what it is is when you take over, you put a, you put an orc that you control as the overlord and as the war chiefs. You can assign your other orcs as bodyguards for those war chiefs, and you can upgrade the castle in various ways. And uh, other players can come fight your castle. It doesn't impact your game, and you don't, you know, you don't impact their game. But basically, it's like the async- it's like asynchronous, like multiplayer, like like uh, Clash of Clans or whatever. Yeah. It's like it's and so basically, you're kind of testing your defense setup against their offense. But it's also setup. good because it means that it's not an appointment type right. online mode. Right, yeah. and you can see a record of who's tried to attack you, whether you won or lost. So the, some of these fights are real interesting because basically, the the, the siege stuff is really cool. And you can set things up however you want and do these upgrades. So, like, the, I was doing the second fortress a couple times get, to get the daily challenge out of the way because you had to do two ranked fights. And um, the first one, I just rolled over it. It was just like, boom, done. Second one, I, we load in, and I'm like, okay, oh, there's things. what are those things on top of the, the, the castle towers there? And it's, it's grogs with uh, fl- fire catapults on their back, which you see early oh, in the, you see those early in the main game, but I hadn't seen them in multiplayer, in, you know, in online before. And so they just start flinging flaming catapult rocks at us, and two of my captains were killed, like, just getting to the front gate. And one of them was the guy I used to break the front gate down. Oh, wow. So, um, so I had to climb up and, and take one of those catapults over and use it to destroy the other catapult, and then we moved on in. Um, and, that, and that guy also, that player, uh, had figured out how to use the bodyguard system because you can assign other orcs to up to four per warchief to be their bodyguard. So, when they, so each warchief has, like, a, a capture point that they guard. And if you have bodyguards assigned them, those bodyguards will show up with them. So instead of fighting one war chief, you're fighting five right. like named orcs, which is a tough fight. Yeah. And we I mean I, I did win that fight, 
but it, it took, you know, where normally, because like, you, you get timed on it. So, like, you have a gold gold medal completion, silver. So, the higher you get, the better the reward, the loot chest you get at the end of it. So, and we'll um, talk about that in a second. Yeah, so, but... <laughs> So like so you want to do it fast, but there was no way to do this fast. Like it was it was uh, it was a, a just back a and struggle. forth struggle. Tug like my guys would go down and I'd, I'd pick them back up because because if one of your guys goes down, uh, you can if they're just, they'll bleed out and you have to like you know resurrect them and uh, um, kind of like years of war yeah. or whatever. And like so it, it was a pitched battle and it was a lot of fun. Like like I can see myself going back when I'm done with this. Game. I can see myself going back and playing those online battles like over and over because I I really enjoy. It. I wish actually I wish Dynasty Warriors was more like that. Yeah, like it it, it feels real good. Do you think that this game in general is something that you can kind of go back and play again? Because it sounds like you have some flexibility in how you. I think so. I mean, yeah. look, I mean, look, I'm what, what thirty hours in. I think I'm like fifty percent complete. Oh wow! To the thing. Holy so cow! I still have a whole bunch huge. of stuff. I've only conquered two out of five fortresses. You're not even halfway um, there then. No, I mean I've done all the collectibles and all the things like that. But like, I, yeah, I'm still working my way through the, like the second half of the quests. I haven't even hit that end game, the Shadow War, where basically you conquer everything and then Sauron pushes back, and that's right. where everybody's worried about the loot boxes thing. And I. I have not needed to buy anything. Like, I mean, maybe because I'm not at that end game point yet. But I have plenty of legendary orcs running around that I've just found and branded in the main game world. Like, and you also doing the, doing the daily and weekly challenges. Uh, you get the gold that's the real money currency from that. And you can buy. Like, I have I have enough gold from just playing the game right now that I could buy all the special this week only loot boxes because the loot boxes they do like special per week. Is like there's an assassin one, assassin box, and a poison box. So like you, you're guaranteed to get that type of orc out of them. Well, if at least you, like you know what you're better. getting, then. right? I mean, you can buy. Like, I mean, the big complaint with loot boxes is you don't know yeah. what the drop rates are. Well, I mean, you can also buy uh, like random blind box ones, which are like when and they're, the different levels are like uh, I think it's like silver, gold, and mithril, and like they're like the more it's just like you know like the mithril one is like uh, I think it's like guaranteed one legendary orc and like. Two, you know, three orcs. One will be legendary, and like two pieces of gear or something. Um, so you more or less know, like you're at least getting one thing. Or whatever. But like, look, I've not felt the. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm too, it's too early to use it, really, because like, the the boxes are clearly tied to your level, and there's no reason to open to to want to use any boxes or buy any boxes until you're way higher level than you are, like going through the story. Like you can, you clearly can complete the main story on this without any help. Isn't this, it interesting that? Pretty much all the discussion about this game leading up to its release was about loot boxes. Mm -hmm. And since the game has come out, I have not heard a peep about the loot boxes in this not game. Not a lot, no. Like nothing. I haven't, and I see it all, obviously. With you know, curating for Sifted, it's like we see all the content for every publication. Yeah. I've not seen a single biting editorial talking about because it. Because it's a non-issue. Do you think it was false outrage, or do you think that because of the outrage, they ultimately went back and tweaked the game? No, it's there's no way they tweaked this. It's it's a it's an option right there. If you want to open any boxes, whether you earn them you know through real money or not, you have to go into the market thing and open them in that thing. That's also where you you keep the orcs you get from the boxes and then like when there's this blank space in an army in an area you can put that orc in that space um so that so the, the interface for that all works through the market tab um so clear i mean I don't, I don't think it's any different than it was and they you know they, they said they tested it without the loot boxes turned on the, the manual loot boxes turned on and i believe that because it gives you enough from just playing the game that i've got you know i've got like 30 or so orcs sitting in the in the you know, legendary and epic orcs just sitting in the, the the reserve group there just from playing online stuff and doing you know that it's not hard to get these things um 
it's you know it's not as like Injustice Two would just like shower loot boxes right. on you. It's not that generous, but like I don't feel like I'm short of of, of useful orcs. Um, and maybe that'll change, you know, right. in the end game because I haven't gotten there yet, and I will certainly tell. Well, you're tell also you. playing on the hardest difficulty settings. Right. So. I mean, I haven't had a problem with any of that, but like, I'm not at the point where anybody's trying to reinvade my fortresses yet, so I'm yeah. not, I, don't, I don't know how that's rolling. How does the uh, graphics engine hold up? Because obviously, when you have that many characters on screen, the detail the detail on mm. the characters is impeccable. Does it that's hold good. up? Does the engine run smooth? Yeah, I'm, pl- I'm playing on PC. Um, Everything's auto. I mean, I use recommended settings for what you know, get auto detect thing. Put everything on ultra. It's at 1440p, and I haven't seen a damn frame rate drop probably the whole time. Like it's even with like there, the the biggest fight I've had outside of the sieges was I went to to kill a, a captain, and it sometimes if you are if you have your captains, I don't. I'm not sure what the thing. I think if you have the captains branded and like the game wants to unbalance the area because there's not there's no more room to put new enemy orcs in they'll have your orcs that you've converted to your side betray you and at one point i, I was in a in like a, a, a like an encampment thing trying to hunt down this other guy and i was in a fight with him and suddenly four of my my captains showed up and all betrayed me at the same time oh man so it was <laughs> so i basically got ambushed by my own guys while i was trying to fight another guy and they brought their armies and their group in there and it was it was just complete chaos and it never hitched one i mean it, it runs real i was worried because the first game ran real smooth yeah. um but that's a three-year-old game mm-hmm. and i was like well i hope they haven't like put booth beefed it up to the point that, that it gets a little like chuggy or anything but i have not a single performance problem at all and, and this is, you know, the PC version usually gets shafted by Warner Brothers, let's not forget. Yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, their PC ports are usually terrible. But this is, uh, this is rock solid. Like, no, no, no complaints tech- from the technical side of things. It sounds like you have very few complaints in general. Yeah. It sounds like you're loving it. Yeah, I am. I mean, I am, but I, I mean, the, the reviews aren't wrong when they say the open world is not, there's nothing to do. Because there isn't. There's nothing to do except kill things and conquer things. Like, yeah. that's, there is no... And collect, you know, little trinkets, but that doesn't take too long. Like, it's not like an engaging sort of like, oh, there's all these, there's a variety of things to do. It's like, this game is doing no one NPCs, thing. No NPCs, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. Not really. Like, I mean, other than your orcs that are fighting with you. I mean, because, but they, they do have a lot of personalities. So like, last night, I was just about to, con- to you know, do the, the push to conquer the second fortress. And I ran into one of the, one of the uh, war chiefs was, I can't remember his f- first name, but he was something the bard. And he's got a little pirate hat on, and he comes out and he's got a club and he flips the, and his intro thing he flips the club around and it's a lute and he sings a song <laughs> about how he's going to kill me and I'm like oh you are going to become overlord sir so like it's adorable like it was it was gr- and so I you know he fought him and you do the thing you break him and then you you drain you you drain him and you can brand him and make him your follower and so I did and then I took over the fortress and I made him uh, I made him overlord and now he has a gold lute. Because <laughs> the Overlord gets like some gold, you know, extra stuff on him, and gets a little cooler, and it's just like stuff like that. Where I've got that guy, I've got this other guy I got who is some. His name is uh, his, his title is the Sweet, and uh, he's he's constantly nervous and afraid of everything, and he apologized to me the first time he tried to kill me, and I'm like, oh, you're you are also adorable, and you are going to be protected as well. Like I pick certain orcs that have that I think are are cool or are funny or whatever. 
and um, it's and it's it's like you get attached to these guys, and like you you know because like and because that's the thing is also uh, when you do uh, like open world missions, time passes. So each of these missions has like three pips underneath it, and each time you do a mission, one of them goes away. And if you run out of time, it auto resolves. So if you have any of these followers that you want to keep around, you should show up to those missions and make sure you help them to make sure they don't die. Um, so you've kind of got this responsibility thing going on now with all if you have favorites to kind of like keep track of and yeah stuff. it's uh, I mean it, it's doing that one thing that nemesis system is doing that one thing and it's doing it incredibly well everything else is pretty you know middle of the road I would say but the combat is the other thing is like they redid the combat to some degree so you are not invincible anymore like you were in the, like the first game it was real hard to die yeah you, know? you could chain stuff together you could con- control crowds real easy this one um, you don't automatically quickly build, you know, the, the, the execution finishers are not tied to your combo meter, which was kind of the, the, the god mode last time. They're tied to a meter that fills up with rage, like a wrath meter. So uh, you can't just inst- insta-kill everybody all the time. Um, and, like, so, I, I mean, I am playing on Nemesis, but, like, I have to run away more off, way more often than I ever did in the first game. Um, so the challenge is there. I would say it's, it, it's not afraid to just beat you down. There's been a couple of times where I'm like, that's not fair. But it's, of course it's not fair. You're fighting a thousand orcs. Right, you know? it's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's never going to be fair. Um, and, but, like, but that's kind of the, the learning part. Is, I mean, I would really, if you are competent at action games, especially hack and slash stuff, or you played the first game, you should play this on Nemesis difficulty because that is, I think it shines. So crank it up. Yeah, it's, it's just hard enough to be a challenge in places when you get to the really high-level guys. And you'll die probably enough to get the Nemesis system really kicked into gear and get a couple of rivalries going, and that's when it's really good. Why do you think? I mean, is it really just the the empty open world? Because the first game was that way. Why do you think this game is being received, not negatively, but why is it not being as well received as the first? I don't know. I mean, it's better than the first, for sure. I mean, all the reviews say that. Yeah. But... Uh, it's just well, it's a stronger year to some degree, um, which I think can color opinions. Yeah, it, that, it shouldn't. It shouldn't, but it, but does. it does. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're right. I mean, it doesn't look. It doesn't. Because that's how they start looking down what, the road it, at the game of the year, and they're like, oh, "Oh, I don't want people at the end of the year saying, oh, right. you gave this an eight.'" Well, you because look, nine. if we're being honest, uh, the game of the year awards are all going to Mario and Zelda. Yeah, probably. That's yeah. it. Like, it doesn't matter how good your game is. If you are not Zelda or Mario, you are not winning game of the year, except for a couple probably like PC, like Rock Paper Shotgun will probably give it to right. PUBG, right? Because yeah. <laughs> which is bullshit. But like, what else are they going to do? Yeah. Um, early access games should not win game of the year. I don't. think. Maybe we should but, have that discussion sometime. But like, I'm sure when December rolls around, I'm yeah, sure, sure there will be there will be plenty of podcasts about that. I guarantee you. Yeah. Um, it's going to be the Walking Dead argument all over again and backwards. Right. You know? Yeah. Because it's like, oh, how can Walking Dead win? Because as well as presentation, well, how can PUBG win when it's so shitty presentation? Because it's all gameplay. You know? yeah. So the other, it's the, it's the flip side of that. And when you really get down to it, the, if you're really like talking about the medium as how games work, PUBG should be the stronger argument than Walking Dead. There. Oh yeah, yeah. Because gameplay sure. is gameplay. Yeah, yeah. You know. For Whereas sure. Walking Dead, I don't think really looks very good anymore. No, and that's what it won Game of the Year on yeah. this presentation, and now. Now I think yeah. I do think as much as I love Shadow of Mordor, I think it uh, it won a lot of those Game of the Year awards just because it was a weak year. It was a weak year, yeah. Um, it kind of won by default. In Shadow a lot of, of War is in a much tighter competition, but I will. T- I have this is the most fun I've had with just about anything this year since Zelda and Horizon. Um, and I'm a sucker for open world like hacky things with a, with a bow and arrow. I guess yeah. I mean like look, it's I'm not gonna lie. It's like this is up my alley already. 
Um, but the Nemesis system is just like nothing else, and it astounds me no still, one has stolen this. Still, like nothing like anything. Yeah, no else. one has stolen this idea. And like Assassin's Creed, Ubisoft, if you want Assassin's Creed to be a thing, uh, use this, like yeah. steal this. Because look, the people that made Shadow Mordor were wanted to make this Assassin's Creed three, <laughs> they're, they're and Ubi wouldn't do it, so they went to Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers is like, make whatever the hell you want. So they made th- this is what Assassin's Creed could have been. Ubisoft is afraid that Blue Hole's gonna sue them. Yeah. <laughs> The Don't other, just jump in for Warner Brothers. Yeah, I mean, how about the other... Look, but not even, like, just Assassin's Creed. It's like, if you could come up with something like like that system that would uh, that would make Ghost Recon Wildlands playable forever. No, you're right. You're absolutely you know? right. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's a great idea, and it... I, don't, I mean, I don't know how they got all the voice acting in this in this game. It's like... How big is the download file for the game? It was... Well, 60, you're on PC, so it's going to be bigger anyway. Yeah, 67 gigs. Oh, it's not bad. Um... And the voice doesn't sound compressed? No, no, it's no. Wow. I mean, I'm not playing with headphones. I'm playing with like a Bose yeah. system, but it sounds good to me. Wow. I mean, all the voices are under a pretty, uh, you know, they're under orc filters. Or, 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 yeah, but like, yeah, it sounds fine. Sounds like it's pretty easy to recommend this game for a purchase. I would definitely say so. I mean, it, there's I mean, a the lot length, of length, the asymmetrical multiplayer There's a lot of compelling. game there. Yeah, and it's like... I mean, I love, I still just love, like, you know, doing the intel stuff and revealing each orc and seeing what they look like and seeing yeah. what they, you know, it's, it's picking which, deciding which ones will live and die, deciding which ones will be promoted, which ones I'll add to my army and which one I'll just cut the head off. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's as mercenary as like, oh, that guy's going to give me good loot because he's high level and he's purple. And sometimes it's like, oh, I need a purple guy in my army. I'll, I'll brand him and, and keep him with me. But uh, it's like, and there's a lot of stuff with, you know, with the, 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 um, the loot in the game, so like you've got different, you you have a sword, dagger, bow, armor, cloak, and your ring, and so you can you can get uh, different you know, different rarity, different uh, different types. They all have different special effects, and each one has a, like once you get to the yellow and above, have a little quest with them, and you have to go do a certain thing a number of times. And when you do that, you can upgrade them, and you get a special an extra special effect on them. So you can customize your 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 equipment to kind of suit your your playstyle. So I have a thing where like. If I daze a captain, I get some arrows back automatically. And I have a thing where if I get a critical hit, I get 22% of my health back. And so you kind of you customize it that way. I have, I have a thing where if I get hit, there's a 33% chance that um, the person who hit the orc who hits me will be poisoned. And okay. uh, so there's a ton of stuff with that. You can customize them further with gems that give you bonus things. So there's a lot of stuff in there to kind of farm for for loot and for gear. Uh, the one and all that stuff is shown on the character. Uh, which, uh, or, as in the, or as in the first game, uh, he basically you could change like out in like I think there were like seven or eight different outfits you could unlock, but there was no loot appearance on the character. The w- only weird thing there is uh, a lot of the major story sequences are pre-rendered cutscenes, and while they are 4K, so they the... are 4K gorgeous. He's in his normal outfit, right. which is we- it's weird to me when a game that focuses on loot customization yeah. so much in 2017. Does that. That's it's a little funky. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I mean, every once in a while, there's a thing where it's like, okay, you probably couldn't have done that in real time. I, I you know, when when the Balrogs show up and the and there's a there's a forest creature thing that shows up that's probably like a little outside of the 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 engine's capabilities in yeah. real time. But it's just like it's a little jarring where suddenly he's back in his like ratty, ratty right. Gondor outfit and Especially stuff. when he works so hard to right. I mean, I got him dressed up like in dark gear, so he's got like a hood. He looks like an assassin, basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even in this game, I tried to make <laughs> him look like an Assassin's Creed character. I don't know. Oh, whatever. But um, 
yeah, there's there's a lot to love in here if you if you're really just you know, like I want a, a looty, hacky, slashy nemesis system orc abusing simulator. Like, well, I'll say this much: I had looked at this game and the reviews kind of started coming in, and I was like, oh, they're not they're not great, they're not sky high. So I knew how many games, just this month, how many games are coming out. And it kind of mapped out the month. And I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play that game. But now after talking to you about it, like, it's kind of bumped yeah. up my list a little bit. I mean, if I, I mean, I'll probably play other things, you know, in preparation for talking about them on this show. But if I didn't, if I wasn't on a show that talked about video games, I would be totally content just playing this game until Mario came out. Right. You know, like wow. this would be my October and I'd just grind away at this game and have fun doing it. Pretty glowing impressions. So I'm super happy with it. I, I don't really disagree with the, the criticisms that the reviews have made of it. But um, if you read those criticisms, you're like, yeah, I don't expect anything more. I just want cool orc stuff and the nemesis thing. Like, I wouldn't hesitate. And uh, the only downside is, like, I mean, people want to wait for the DLC sometimes. But it looks like the DLC is going to be separate mini-campaigns with, like, other, other characters. Uh, I would certainly have preferred... It to add on new fortresses to conquer, but like, what are you gonna do? You know, I mean, look, you're you you got thirty hours. Yeah, I mean, you're, it's not, and you're it's not, not even like halfway a, there. That's... It's not like you're short of it. But yeah. I'm just saying, if they wanted to expand this into kind of an ongoing platform, I would buy new fortress area. I mean, you want to expand out to the whole of Middle Earth and just like move into the south and move into the east and make up some more shit because we're you know, we're we're in, we're in crazy territory here. It's like you know, I would not be surprised if that happens. I would be I mean, totally on board with that. Probably going to turn into another game as a service. Yeah, which we'll also talk about a little later. In I mean, the show. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be down for that more because I, you know, I'm not a big fan of like just separate add-on campaigns. Like I like it when the DLC adds to the main game. Yeah. Um, the only exception to that is probably uh, free, uh, Freedom Cry from uh, yeah. Black Flag. I thought yeah. that was a really good mini campaign, but I like that character already. Right. And like in this game, I don't have any interest in playing any other characters because I don't care about them. Right. I'd rather just have more more castles. Yeah. But uh, if that's what kind of does it for you, if you look, look at kind of the conquest stuff in this game and you think that looks cool, like it is cool and you will like it. Like I think you, I think people would dig it. All right. We're going to move on. Next we're going to talk about, and for I believe the third episode in a row, we're going to talk about toxic players in video games. It's a hot topic, and I think it's a hot topic, Matt, because publishers are struggling trying to figure out how to deal with them. So there's different types of toxicity. There's a griefer who try and tries to ruin the game for others. Mm -hmm. There's the guy who is verbally abusive. And then there are cheaters. And what has turned out to be the biggest problem and the hardest one to solve is cheating. Um... It appears that Epic Games has decided to try a new tactic to, I wouldn't say thwart cheaters, but perhaps deter cheaters, and it has sued two players who have been cheating in Fortnite. And yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> what do you sue them for? What? Like I don't ruining the game for others. I mean, here I don't here's think the... there's anything on the books for that. Well, it depends on what's in the end user licensing agreement. True. And, the, and people, no one reads those. I mean, there was the one, I think it was The Simpsons, that did the whole thing on the iTunes, like, you love. Where mm. it's like, basically, if you actually read it, it's like you've just given away your firstborn child to Apple when you have your first kid. Nobody reads these things. So they can be loaded with pretty much right. anything. But, like, the courts know that. And the courts can say, like, no one, no one can be ex reasonably expected to read these things. So you can't, like, tag someone on some weird specific thing you buried in there. Like... 
it's, uh, I mean, the idea is probably that, like, the people they're suing will not have the money to fight it, and will just have to back down. And, uh, the, I guess it's, you know, it is a scare tactic, I would say. I don't think it's going to solve anything, because all these, clearly the people that do things like this do not think they're going to get caught. But, or so, suffer repercussions I saw today it. that, uh, Bluehole is banning 13,000 players a day from Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Not really that many people when you consider how many people are playing that. It game, is, but. but still, that's a lot of people. It's still thirteen thousand yeah. people. That's a whole basketball arena full of people, basically so a they, day. So they hired like a whole separate team to do that. They, I mean, they have to. There's no way you could do that unless you have some kind of code. Mm. In I mean, they have been expanding. Like the like Blue, Blue Hole is is playing the game right, as far as I can tell. Like they're not just like sitting back and accumulating piles of cash. They are expanding their business. But look, we saw Blizzard. So I'm sure they that was part of their expansion. Yeah. Well, we talked about Blizzard. How I think it was three or four episodes ago. Mm. We were talking about how Blizzard basically reached out to the community and said, "Hey, like, please stop being jerks." Um, we're spending so much time dealing with the jerks in our game that it's keeping us from creating new features for the game or new modes, new characters, whatever. And that doesn't work. Mm. The banning obviously doesn't work. But do you think that, one, personalizing it, because look, these two players, people know who they are. This isn't, they are just two out of 13,000. Mm. These are people who have been named and are now out in the public as cheaters, essentially. Do you think even if this is won't hold up in court and it's not legally binding, that it might be the most effective way to deal with cheating? No. You don't. You don't think the deterrent of getting your name dragged through the mud in public or potentially having to either spend a ton of money on lawyers or actually going to court if it goes that far and losing a ton of money that way, you don't think that's a big enough deterrent for people to maybe... No. Look, the worst of the worst, they're going to do what people Because do. people don't think they're going to get caught. Like, that's the whole point. But the, don't won't they wonder, how did these people get caught? Well, cause, clearly because they were stupid, and, and, <laughs> and, and these people, the people that do it, want to do it now, they're super smart. And they never think they caught. are. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they think they are. Like, that, it's, it's, you know, it's called Dunning-Kruger syndrome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think, you know, it's, it's, that whole, it's, the, it's the burglar thing. So, well, that would never happen to me, you yeah. know? It's, it's like, well, I'm, I'm careful, you know? It's like, no, like, it, it still happened. It's just, but... It's not a deterrent because also because people don't think of this as some kind of like legal issue, you know. I guess like the idea would be to kind of you know convince people to start thinking of it as that. But like, you can't go around and sue everybody who uses an aimbot. You know, I think cheating is just going to be part of the, the online gaming experience, and we have to just work around it as best we can. Like, I, I it's been a it's been a problem since we first started using modems to play Doom. Like, it, it's it's not going away. I appreciate them trying to find new ways to curb it, but I just don't think you can stop people from being jerks. You don't think there's any way to stop it? You think this is just a, not 100%. something that we're going to have to deal with forever in uh, playing online games? Yes, to some degree. Why that's, not to, that's not to say there shouldn't you shouldn't take measures to try to stop it. Obviously, I mean, it's like there's no there's no reason to do nothing. But uh, anyone expecting this stuff to kind of kill it completely is not just fooling themselves. Here's what I wonder, and I've always wondered. Why, how can a developer like Epic or Bluehole find 13,000 people a day that need to be banned, but they can't catch everybody? Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because well, I guess it's a moving target, more or less. Is it? Are they just like altering the code just enough so that it jumps through the filters that the... Developers well, trying to use a I don't know people? any specifics about that, so I don't know what they were looking for. Yeah. You can only do so much. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, to me, and there's always some new thing, you know. Like, I mean, and people are trying to, you know, crack into these things are are fast. I mean, they broke the Denuvo copy protection on Shadow day. of War in a day. Yeah, and already there's a way to to use a cheat engine to jump into Shadow and and give yourself infinite silver or infinite me whatever the silver coin occurs. And you can buy loot boxes with that. Uh-huh. Not the good ones, but you can just buy the, the low level ones over and over and over forever until you get you know eventually the the random number generator is going to give you some good stuff. So you're kind of short-circuiting that real money system already by doing that. And they figured that out in 24 hours. I think so, DRM, at this point, publishers should wise up and just ditch it. Yeah, well, it, I, It's more of a hindrance than it is Well, now. I think the more effective DRM is going to be stuff where you tie people into like the game-as-a-service idea. You know, like, And I think a lot of development... You know, I've already seen a couple developers say, like, we don't care nearly as much about you stealing the game as long as you're still buying the content later. Right. You know, as long as you're still paying for the, the, you know, if you're a whale, we don't care if you steal the game. As long as you still, you know, in, are involved in the in the transaction later. Like, that's where the real money is made. Well, Patrick kind of recently made that argument in Pactor Factor. He was saying that if, if he were, if it were up to him and he was a publisher, if you're going to create a game as a service, you just give the game away. Mm-hmm. And don't even charge the $60 for it because the whales are still going to spend the same amount of money they always spend. Mm-hmm. And the people who are going to pirate it, like you just mentioned, are still going to buy yeah. the extra content. I mean, imagine that world where, like, And you're Shadow exposing of... the game to right. literally millions and millions of more people. Imagine that world where Shadow of War is free. Right. And people buy enough, you know, the whales buy enough loot boxes that people like you and I can just play it. Yeah. That would be pretty neat. I, I... I'm surprised to hear you say that you don't think that actually taking someone to court is no is no deterrent at all. It'll be deterrent for that person. But like if, if But taking... then why do we have laws? I mean our laws and the police and the courts are all there. They're not there because, because... they want to prosecute everybody. They're there so that other people see what happens to other people and it deters them from that behavior. And it doesn't deter the people that still do that. So the reason they're also there is to deal with the people who are not deterred. So there will always be someone doing something wrong in that regard. You just need to have the system there to deal with it. I don't know if suing them is really the the, ac- the active move there. It's also it's, it's worth a shot. For Epic. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's worth Epic a shot. Has to pay its lawyers as well. Let's see what happens. You know, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. But I am a firm believer in the in the theory that there will always be dicks. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't again. That doesn't mean like no laws or no. Well, yeah, there are always going to be dicks. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. But I think. But like, if anyone is saying like, oh, one day we will get to the point where all our online gaming experiences will be jerk free, like you're never. It's not going to happen. But see, I look back at like the T. Martin case where he was running the CS:GO skin site mm-hmm. and was totally lying about it to his users, and they're getting suckered into going there and spending money. The fact that he faced no. No real consequences for that mm-hmm. whatsoever, other than maybe being stressed out for a few months over it. But ultimately, really didn't have to pay any kind of a price for it. To me, I, I think that matters. Like, I think other people will look at that and say, well, psh, he didn't even get a slap on the wrist. So what's going to keep me from doing it? Like, so you think it, do you agree with that? Do you think that some people will look at that and say, oh, I can get away with that because they didn't actually get in trouble? Yeah, probably. So you think it's just a one-way street then? Where if people are punished, it doesn't matter. But if they get away with it, it does. Um, I could see that. I mean, I could definitely see, like, you know, maybe, maybe a couple of people would be deterred by the idea if T. Martin had got, paid some real legal consequences. that would be like, oh, I'm not going to deal with that. Um, but, like, you know, there's always going to be someone that still does it anyway. 
Um, yeah, I mean, look, I don't think this would ever wipe... Not, no law is ever going to wipe out crime 100%. It's no. just not. You're going to have people who are going to be criminals no matter what. But there are people kind of on the fringe who still have kind of a conscience. Right, but I mean, we're not... It's talking, like, I don't think all game pirates are, like, bad people. Right, I, but we're also not talking about murdering another human being. We're talking about cheating in an online game, which is just right. not a moral choice for most people. It's like... Yeah. Like, a lot of people wouldn't do it, not because of any mor moral decision, but because, like, that's not how the game is played, and they want to play the game the way the game is played. Um, but there are people who don't care about that. And that's not, I mean, call that unethical if you want, but, like, that person is never going to occur to them to even weigh that decision in their head. It's just that's how they play. That's what's fun to them, is, is making sure they win at all costs. I played Monopoly with people that are like that. Yeah, I played Risk <laughs> with people that are like yeah, that. Yeah, Risk just... is another good example, yeah. Yeah. And, like, I just don't, you know, and I guess maybe, like, if, if Epic finds a way to get some of this to stick, it could, you know, if, if there was a if there was a chance of being nailed for wire fraud if you cheated the bank in Monopoly, yeah, maybe people would do that less. <laughs> Matt, do you think the rise of esports has caused an increase in cheating? Um, because people not, back in the day, before esports, you couldn't actually make money playing video games. Mm -hmm. There wasn't much incentive to cheat. Oh, but, yeah, there was. I mean, win. other than you just want to win. Yeah. But now, That's all the incentive people need. But now there's this carrot dangling on the stick of, if you're good enough and you get noticed in a community and your scores are sky high, all of a sudden mm. you never know. Your phone rings, you get that email saying, hey, we saw your stats. Like, I don't we, think that has much to, as much to do with it as you might think. You don't think the kids out there have stars in their eyes, man, hoping that they're the it's next not, It's not going to help you when you get there. Right, but I don't think that they care about that. Somewhat, but if that was really the driving force, I would not have seen as many cheaters as I did in Dark Souls 1. <laughs> Dark Souls 1 on PC was, I don't know if I ever really, I have a friend who doesn't think he ever saw a non-invincible person invade his game. Really? Like, Cheating in Dark Souls 1 was hilariously rampant. And there's no benefit to that. No, you it's know, just people it's just, with Dark Souls, yeah. basically. Yeah. Literally, people with people Dark, dark Souls. People with Dark Souls. You know, there's no, there's no pro-Dark Souls scene. There's no money to be made there. Right. People just want to be invincible. Yeah. People just want to have that power. But that's look, that's one level. We're talking about 13,000 people a day here that are getting yeah, busted but, for cheating. But to some degree... I, there's almost 2 million people playing that game a day. Yeah. So 13,000 is not really that many people when you look at the, the volume that oh, PUBG yeah, it's like is less dealing than 1% or yeah. whatever. That's not too bad, really. I mean, it's kind of expect an expected margin when you think about yeah. it. Like if 13,000 people were being banned a day for cheating at Lawbreakers... <laughs> they, they wish they had it, that problem. It would be a pretty good day. I feel bad <laughs> laughing. Did you see this week that they went dropped down to 10 con concurrent players on I, PC? Part of me wonder, like, is can that be real? I, I don't think it can. How? I, I don't think that's How are only 10 people playing that game? I don't know. I, I how did? So how would that... How? I mean, look, man, I didn't buy it, but like... Yeah. <laughs> but, but <I laughs> You're played, part of the problem. But I played the beta, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, if I was into this kind of thing more, I would probably think this is pretty awesome. Like, it's, it's you know, there's a lot to it. Like, there's a lot going on. I have no time or energy to master it, but like, you can see it. I'm completely befuddled by the lack of success for that game. Completely. Yeah, I don't... I'm I mean, not... look, I didn't think it was going to be the next Call of Duty no, or anything was... like that, but man, I thought there was going to be... A very dedicated, yeah, smaller like you, community. Like maybe you're it. looking at like a thirty thousand player base or right. something on like a pl per like platform after or something. But the like the heyday of it, yeah, when it settles like, in. But like my ten. when it says ten, my inclination is like, are you reading it right? Like really? Like how is that possible? Man, uh, I mean, you know, I don't. I I know a lot of people in game development, you know, and I've got to know them from interviewing them mm -hmm. and E3 and blah blah blah. 
That is one of the first games where I had a really good friend working on the game. Rohan from GT is, is a part of the Boss Key team. And so for me, I've taken this way more personally than I ever have a game failing before. Uh, man, I just... And I can't understand it because they meant they built a great product. It's mm -hmm. just... It's mind-boggling. But you're right. Like, they would kill to have that problem right now. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's like... a nuisance to Blue Hole in Epic and right. to... The boss key, it's like, I wish we had 13,000 people cheating every day. <laughs> it's least, so sad. At least then they'd care. Right. Or at least um, then you know you have people playing the game. Yeah, I didn't mean to, to, to derail the whole thing. No, I get it. it but it's just, I'm talking about, like, when you're dealing with that volume of people, the fact they only have 13,000 cheaters is going to make, like, you know, you wonder what the comparison to, like, Overwatch's toxicity problem is. Yeah. You know, in, in terms of percentage. Um but I, you know, and it's, and it's part... I think the bigger problem in Overwatch, though, is toxicity and not necessarily yeah. cheating. Yeah, I don't know if there's a lot of cheating happening in Overwatch. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't think it's tremendously related to the eSports thing because you can only ta you can only cheat so long before somebody realizes that's what you're doing and you're not going to get on the team, you know? Yeah. Like, that doesn't help you in the arena. Um, I think it's just the human, the human nature to want to be better, quote-unquote, than the other person. I mean, how many aimbots did I deal with in Quake Three and Unreal Tournament back in the '90s? Like yeah. it was, you know, it was con a constant presence. Yeah, it's so. like if you can, you will. Or I mean, hell, I used to. That was one of the reasons I used to play uh, Command and Conquer on M Player. If anyone remembers that, I do. Um, because they had anti-cheat stuff that could detect if you were messing with the code, as opposed to you just started playing like kind of random online Command and Conquer. You, I played plenty of matches where I'm like, okay, I finally got to his base, and his buildings are invincible. It's yeah. like, there's nothing you can do. Remember Punk Buster on GameSpy oh, yeah. back in the day? Every once in a while, I still have to delete that from something I installed <laughs> back, back then. Yeah, I know. Do you think that there's any solution to this at all? Like 100% Because it solution? seems to be getting no. way worse. I don't know if it's way worse or if it's just easier to hear about it. You know, I, I feel like I ran into more cheaters back in the, in the Wild West of the late 90s uh, than I do now. Well, it's like a lot of people in my family think that... Uh, like, all the stuff that's going on in the world is way worse than it ever was. And I always tell them, I'm like, probably crime, not. No, crime is way down. It's actually, like, there's just, everyone has a camera on their cell phone yeah. now, and everyone can capture everything, so you just see more of it. And there's, you know, obviously yeah. there's not you, just three major news right. organizations and, yeah, things anymore. Don't, and also, like, things you know, used to have to percolate from the local level up to the national level for you. Now you can just see it on Twitter, like, five now, minutes after it Now happens. the nationals can just go buy something from Storyful, yep. where some guy in some local town takes a cell phone and records it, and they put it on the service, and, and, and all those, it goes. And all those outlets know the, the crazier, the weirder or the scarier it is the more people are going to be interested especially yeah. you can come up with a right clickbait headline yep that's all it so um it's just, i think it's just an economy of of how fast you can communicate about this stuff and how i mean because uh, that was one of the things about dark souls that surprised me was like like uh, you know people are like i haven't seen cheating like this since the old you know quake days you yeah. know and it's like it, it it's not that especially if you play mainly in console you don't see a lot of cheating in that regard i mean every once in a while you you have that suspect of like is that guy using like an aimbot or, or, or a wall hack or something? Like, I don't know if he could be. It's like, maybe I'm just making excuses for me sucking. But like, And I think yeah. that's what a lot of people do. Yeah. I think a lot of people are getting killed by cheaters. But they're just like, I don't want to say, I don't want to make an excuse. That's yeah. the way I am. I never want to say, oh, that he's cheating. Like, well, that's why it took so long for the Dark Souls. I want to take Souls... responsibility for my lack well, of skill. That's why it took so long for my, <laughs> the Dark Souls community to catch on to what was happening. Is because, a lot, you know, that, that whole community has that giant get good thing Right, and I think they all think that all of them are in on the same, like, ideals. And that right. they, they're all fighting the good fight. And at some and... point, it feels like, no, you can do this. Watch me do it. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay, that's what's happening. <laughs> you, a guy you couldn't kill really is invincible yeah so it's uh it's it's interesting it 
I don't know if it's all about just more coverage, more outlets, kind of bubbling everything up. I. Mm. It seems to me that. What were they doing in Fortnite? By the way, like what was what were they cheating at? Well, I don't know say... actually. I don't know what the exact details were of what they mm. were doing in inside the game. Because um, because I like are they cheating at the battle royale mode or are yeah, they... it was the battle royale yeah. mode, royale mode, which is by the way is like become huge. Oh yeah, because like, they beat PUBG to the consoles. Yeah, I mean it's nipping at PUBG's heels now. Yeah, yeah, it matters. And I think Bluehole saw that coming too, yeah, and that's why it got so testy over. Because at first when I saw they were suing. Two guys, I saw that news story earlier, and I was like, oh, was somebody, like, figuring out a way to get free loot boxes? That, so, like, that was like, That was my first inclination. <laughs> it might be. I mean, that might be what it is. And then you're, you're taking money away from them. Yeah, but loot boxes if... aren't involved in the Battle Royale. Right, so. right. But uh, then you're talking about money. And when you start messing with somebody's money... See, that's what I thought. That's like, when things yeah. start to get a little You dirty. start messing with the revenue. If, if you start killing people with an aimbot, like, no one's really... But you start messing with the revenue stream... Yep. And you're in trouble. the economy. That's when it starts to cause problems. Like, if you could, pop, if you could be toxic to an Overwatch loot box, there would be a lot more done <laughs> faster on that. That's for sure. Uh, maybe somebody in the uh, chat knows exactly what they were doing. I did not see that in the story that I read about it, though. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk about a game that we talked about last week, and it was kind of the headline game for, mm. for the episode. Uh, but I had not really had a chance to play it yet because I had download mm-hmm. woes the morning we recorded the show. And that is Star Star Wars Battlefront 2. You almost called it Star Fox. I did almost, yeah. Get, get out of here. <laughs> get out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have now since played it a ton. Mm. Uh, I've, I've played it dozens of hours at this point. Uh, and I wanted to kind of deliver my impressions as well. You're a huge Star Wars fan. So am I, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm not in the same universe as you, though. Your knowledge of Star Wars just destroys mine. Although it doesn't really matter anymore because it's all non-canon. No, you're right. So you're right. We're going to start it over a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah, maybe when we when I finish this discussion, we'll, we'll get your impressions of the new Star Wars trailer for mm-hmm. the film, uh, which I also watched. Um, and uh, so now I've spent a ton of time with pretty much every mode. The only thing I didn't play all that much was arcade uh, and that's because mm. I, I went through it a couple times, and it There's just only the two missions. Yeah, and, and it just seems so easy, and like yeah. I didn't. It's like like I will probably play through that in the final retail when there's more available there. But... Yeah, and once there are leaderboards there, and mm. you actually have kind of someone to play against, it's going to be permanent. Then maybe I'll I'll get into it more. But I I, I just went through that a couple times. Uh, but I did play uh, the other two modes a ton. Um, Galactic Assault. Uh, it's weird to me that this game was created by. Dice, because you look at Dice's other games, and it's very good at large-scale combat um, in video games. It's kind of one of the studio's hallmarks, mm-hmm. and that's where I feel like Galactic Assault falls way short. So the vehicles are basically kill streaks. I mean, that's really kind of how they work. Being using a vehicle or playing as a special character, that you have to get an X number of points before you can use any of those. And I guess my first problem is that. I wasn't good enough to get them very often. I think I got I got enough points for special characters like three times and vehicles I, I used like twice. But regardless of whether I got to use them or not, it, it was very easy for me to see, even though I wasn't the one in control of them, how they affected the match overall. And the vehicles, to me, were just rendered almost useless in this game. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it probably has to do with the map, the Naboo map. It's the, Naboo, the I don't see any reason to ever use an aerial vehicle. No, in, in the there's Naboo no map. reason Naboo whatsoever. Naboo map. No, there's none. It's it, They were actually a hindrance. Like, you couldn't do anything. It's like, yeah, you can fight in the skies with the other team who may mm-hmm. may or may not, probably not, 
have a ship at the same time. But if you actually try to engage in the mode with that with the ships, it's pointless. Like mm-hmm. the the alleyways are too narrow. Nobody runs down that big strip down the middle where the ship goes. You pop out there to actually shoot the mitt or whatever the hell is called, whatever the shields are down. But otherwise, you stay in the alleyways for cover. And so to me, that seemed pointless. The other thing I noticed is that like when people would get the ground-based vehicles, you're seeing some of that now. They're just like sitting ducks. Like mm-hmm. the 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 infantry are too nimble and too quick to for them to be in danger of the vehicles and in fact in a lot of cases i saw the infantry sneak up behind the vehicles and take them out before the people who were driving the vehicles had any idea of what was going on so that to me is a shock because if you think about the pedigree of this studio it's done a great job and i would argue even the first battlefront did a pretty good job of integrating vehicles now i'm assuming a mode is going to come to this one as well that it that plays like the last one where the actual infantry stuff actually mattered. But what I played in the beta, it didn't. And the special characters, they're too powerful. It's like once someone became Darth Maul or pretty much any character that had a lightsaber, it's just like the whole team is just wiped out. Like I felt like I had no opportunity to kill any of the, any of the players who were playing as special characters. I killed a, several Darth Mauls. Yeah, I mean, yeah. generally how you kill them is... He's off, literally killing like ten people at once, and mm. you're standing away from him, like a couple. Pecking I at did him. kill two. Dar- twice I killed Darth Maul one on one as as a normal trooper. Uh, it is possible. It's just I think it might require that you're playing as someone that doesn't quite know what they're doing. Um, but they do. They lose health much faster in the first game than in the first game. Yeah. You mean? Yeah, the first game they were essentially it, it took a. It was like a raid boss basically, and in this one like. They're more, they got more life, but like it, it seems more fair now uh, in this anyway. And I, I still feel like they're going to tweak it because there's there's a little bit of uh, here going on. You know, for, I still think the blaster characters are less powerful than the lightsaber characters yeah. by a large degree, except maybe Boba Fett. Boba Fett but Hans, I mean, being Han Solo versus being like being uh, Darth Maul, big difference. Yeah, huge difference. You're yeah. And that's why I said. Any character that carries a lightsaber, yeah. essentially, is just see, to me seems completely. I mean, they should be to some degree, but I think they need to work up a system where, like, defense and there is a you can you know you can guard with the, with the lightsaber uh, more effectively now. But I think I, I, there needs to be more of a there needs to be more of a balance of defense with offense with the lightsaber characters because right now they just kind of go buck biggity Yoda wild and yeah. just succeed. It's just you know? a dervish of just yeah. destruction pretty Which much. Which is kind of what Maul should be, but like it's just it there's a little bit of overpoweredness there, I guess. I don't know. Um you want to feel powerful in that regard, but uh, I, I I do think they're better than the, than in the last game. What uh, was the mode in the last one where it was on Hoth and you had like walkers and walker, every, assault. walker assault? That I thought they did a great job on. Like well, I ended up playing that mode probably yeah. more than any well, other. Well, this mode. is basically the same thing, except with an MTT right. moving. But the map is what makes all the difference right. in the world. It's... The map is not great. I mean, this is. I'm hoping the other maps are better. Yeah, me um, too. Like, but we might. You know, this might be a war from you know Call of Duty World War II situation yeah. where like I hated that map, but I love that mode idea. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's got to be because there's you know the the the. It's also an Overwatch mode. Yeah, Overwatch's biggest. And the mode. icon for that mode is a walker, so yeah. I, I assume there will be more traditional things in there. And then uh, Starfighter Assault. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed the moment-to-moment gameplay in that um, because it's more open. Yeah. But I didn't like the objectives that there. The, the objectives weren't big enough. It's like. 
hey, go shoot this big ship and blow it up. Hey, go shoot these couplings or defend these couplings. It didn't feel appropriately Star Wars enough to me. Mm -hmm. uh, the flight combat and all that was great. Uh, and it was good enough, in all honesty, for me to overlook all the other stuff, at least initially. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know over the long haul if it will. But, uh, but it just didn't feel like... It felt like you saw the best parts and the most interesting parts of it after the match was over when it shows like the cutscene mm -hmm. of the end result of the match like i felt like we should be doing the stuff that they're showing in a cutscene at the end of each match it just seemed i don't know i just I, I wore out on that pretty quickly once i kind of figured out what the objectives were and i ended up becoming the person that i hated in galactic assault which are which is the bulk of people who do not give a crap about the objectives mm -hmm. and just go out and kill each other that's the other problem, too, is it? And maybe it's because it's a Star Wars game, so you get more casual people playing it. But the vast majority of people playing the beta did not give a crap about playing the actual mode. Like, I saw so many people run past the disruptor weapon. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's there. Get it, pick it up, use it, shoot it. And no, they just keep running, and then they just run in and start, start shooting each other. Well, I mean, that's kind of the nature of these, early, you know, the beta stuff where, like, people are kind of learning. You know, early on, these games are like that, just eventually people settle in. That's all, for me, see, for me, it's always more interesting when everybody's going to learn how it works. And the thing where that's going to make Galactic Starfighter, the, the, the Starfighter Assault thing boring to me, is when everybody just knows to beeline for the objective and figures out ways to, to complete the objectives before, you know, before you can even start right. playing. Right. You know, like, yeah. that's going to happen too. And, like, I don't know, I, I do feel like maybe we were given less spectacular maps that, on all of these modes than perhaps exist in the game. Um, because, like, I don't like how the Naboo Galactic Assault map flows at all. Um, and uh, Galactic Starfighter is cool, but like I admit, like I mostly just dogfight in an interceptor when I play that mode, and uh, that's where I had the most fun. I don't, you know, and there's always people that are going to get in the bombers and go straight at the shield generators, and like I don't worry about it, but I just try to keep things off their back, which I guess is how it's supposed to work. But like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it, it's just such an improvement over the last game that like I can't find too much to, to yell about about game is the Starfighter. Freaking thing. gorgeous! Yeah, gorgeous. Even on my base PS4, no PS4 Pro, that game is just stunning. Runs great. How do you feel about the spawning? Having to wait for a squad to spawn. Um, because of the nature of the game, I think I actually prefer it because that way at least you're in a group whenever you speak. It kind of forces people to sort of be together. But nobody does. Nobody when you does. Spawn, they just all run different directions. Right, they all run different directions. But like some, you know, early on at least it kind of provides a little spawn camp protection. Yeah. Um, which hasn't been a problem. I really. haven't seen any spawn camping. But like. The mass so freaking yeah, huge. Yeah, so, it's so long. But like. I don't. I, I like the idea. I, I see what they're after. I see why they're doing it. I just don't like it. Like I don't ha like having to sit there sometimes ten seconds waiting to spawn. Mm -hmm. Although I think with these objective-based games, you have to find a way to kind of temper how fast you're pouring people back into the map. You know, like I'm sure there's a, an algorithm or an equation yeah. that's, that's part of it or whatever. But uh, look, I had fun with the game. But I had fun with the first one too. And then once I ultimately got a hold of it, I played it for like a week and then kind of didn't go back. So. I have some reservations about it after playing the beta for a good amount of time. But yeah. Well, I didn't play as a ton of the beta just specifically because I don't want to burn out on it before yeah. the final comes out. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to playing all the different maps. I mean, hopefully there's some stuff that really hooks me. Um, 
I do like the more more objective driven stuff, like what they're doing in Gal in Galactic Assault and the and the Starfighter thing. So I'm hoping it because that's the kind of thing that I, the thing that gets me bored with uh, you know competitive like shooter games is when it's just who can shoot the most people. Right. You know, I don't have yeah. any interest in that. What's, who, what's your KD? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. So we'll see. Like I, I'm, I'm not like I, I'm not more or less excited about the game coming off of the beta. Really, I, it's 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 exactly what I hoped it was going to be, and I'm I'm I, I just want to see more. I, I think what I maps. would say is the things that I thought I was going to be excited about, I'm not, and the things I didn't think I was going to be excited about, I am. So I'm with you. I'm kind of on that same keel, where I'm just as excited for it as I was before, but for different reasons now. I guess mm -hmm. is I guess that's the best way I can, I can put it. Would love to get at least a little taste of the campaign in this, but I get it. I mean, they gave us a lot for an open beta, so I'm not going to complain about it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of competition coming up here. But it does have the advantage of having that license, which obviously makes makes a big difference. And with games like Call of Duty kind of going for an, in a new angle this year, maybe it does kind of open up the uh, the prospects for it a little bit more. But um, is this you playing in the footage? It is. Yeah. And you are getting creamed. Oh like yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know how they're finding you that fast. I never get shot at that much. Well, you got to remember, I was playing this at the end of the beta when people had mm -hmm. been playing it, so they had already, they had gotten good at it essentially. Um, and I played this last. Like I was playing Galactic mm -hmm. Assault first before I started playing this. So I was just basically a sitting duck out there. I still had fun with it though, and I got better too. I grabbed this footage like when I first started playing. So. But, uh, yeah, not long to wait for this one either, and I do appreciate that they gave us a nice big slice of it to play. I mean, think about how much we played of this game, and just think about, like, five or six years ago how much we would have played of a game like this. Like, nothing. Yeah. So, the times they are a changing, and they're definitely changing for the better. So, um, I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, I guess, is, is mm -hmm. what I'm saying more than anything else. I would um, have liked to have seen more campaign, but obviously you don't need to beta test that, really. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I would say that I agree with from your impressions last week is on that Naboo map, it is hard to see the droids mm -hmm. because of the coloring. The other thing, too, is the droids are really small and skinny. Yeah, they're small and skinny they're and they're hard same to color. hit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, actually, I know a guy who, who uh, worked on this a little bit, and he said he said all the beta tests, like the, the, um, the um, what you call it, the, the play tester, like the testing group. The QA team. They kept, the QA people kept complaining that they couldn't see the droids. Oh, they did. They're, 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 and there was, all, I guess there was some kind of internal debate about that, maybe. About like, no, nah, it's fine. And that's what the color they are. You know, kind of, there's, 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 there's Star yeah, Wars lore versus gameplay kind of thing there. And that's what Naboo looks like. So, right. but maybe you just choose. Maybe, I don't know. Light, different lighten soldiers. or darken the shade on something. Yeah, you know, it is hard to see them. Like for on sure. the on the on the on the map, probably. I mean, and they're make, so skinny. I mean, the yeah. headshots, their heads are like this big. It's like it, you got to be really on it to land a headshot. In yeah, the game. But I just. I never got used to their, them, the color of the droid uh, matching the background of the Naboo architecture. Yeah. All right, let's move along. So this week was Oculus Connect 4, I believe. I can't believe it's the fourth year that Oculus has had its big convention. Um, usually it's not that big a deal. We'll get like a price drop or something like that, or they'll show some new games. This year it was probably, other than the first one, probably the biggest one yet. Mm -hmm. um, they had basically announced, so we've known about this new headset they've been working on called Santa Cruz for quite a while, which rumors say that it's wi wireless. Um, but Oculus kind of surprised everybody by announcing Oculus Go, which is, in fact, completely wireless. But the big news is that it's completely self-contained. Mm -hmm. You don't need a PC, a cell phone, anything. It's coming out early next year for $200. 
math do you, and it does 360 degree tracking it doesn't actually do room scale mm -hmm. vr matt do you think that this might be the turning point couldn't hurt for vr i mean that's kind of a it's it, i didn't think they'd get to this that fast yeah certainly not for that price point um if it doesn't have a heat problem then uh i think they might have something there is it's kind of a half it's kind of a halfway step between a kind of the google cardboard thing and the full-size hmd and gear vr is kind yeah. of in the same class as cardboard but uh, i think that's kind of the direction that, ne that stuff needs to be taken to get it in the hands of more people seems smart to me yeah most of the people i know that play vr for the first time and don't like it their first complaint is the cord or the cable mm-hmm that it seems to be, and that's something Pactor complains about all the time too, is the cable. The length of the cable, uh, he feels restricted, he doesn't feel comfortable moving while he's playing because he's afraid he's going to stumble over the cord and destroy his HMD or rip a cable out or stumble over the cot, whatever. That seems to be one of the most common complaints with VR. Yeah, I don't have that problem. I don't have a problem with the cable, but I would certainly prefer it without the cable just in the sense of like, less wires is better. I think what Oculus, what was brilliant about Oculus is that it figured out the problem with creating a wireless device for VR is the home device communicating with the headset. What do you use to send that much information from that device to the headset? And it just said, well, let's just get rid of the device and just build the whole thing in one so you can kind of hop and skip around that limitation of current technology. Mm. So to me, it's kind of brilliant. Um, a lot of the impressions that people uh, wrote up after trying it were they were shocked that the front of it wasn't heavy because there's nothing on the back to kind of balance the weight on the front. But I guess the mm. way that they've engineered it, what do you call head ergonomics? <laughs> Just ergonomics. Is it still ergonomics? Yeah. Uh, however, they designed the Oculus Go, uh, the balance, how it feels on your head, they said, is like mm. perfect, which a lot of people are probably were some kind of like suspension trick they're doing without with the, the strap on it. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, to me, this is what VR has needed for a long time. A reasonably priced... Now we just need a game to play. Right. A, re <laughs> a reasonably priced HMD that is wireless. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, this is the first time I've... S Other than when they first unveiled Oculus Rift, this is the first time that I've kind of sat back and went, Okay, now I get why this company was worth so much money. Like, you're kind of finally starting to see some of the brilliant minds behind Oculus Rift, coming up with ideas that actually show the brilliance beyond the initial concepts of it. Um, and of course, they're talking about, you know, during the mm -hmm. keynote, they're talking about how it's going to integrate with outside of games. Um, it's compatible with all Gear VR stuff, so it comes with kind of a library right out of the gate. Do you see people, though, who have passed on VR finally jumping in for this? Yeah, it depends what it does. I mean, I know that this is their, their you know, long... Is it kind of their long-term like plan to sort of have uh, Facebook function in a VR environment, where like the idea being like you can, you know, that's their ultimate goal is that the social network would be um, a virtual presence idea, where like you can watch movies with your family across the country and During stuff like that. During this keynote, he tries to contend that everyone at Facebook is now having their meetings using that technology okay <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah he was trying to say everyone's doing maybe this you now. maybe you made them versus do, do right versus like, just sitting on a conference call they all prefer now to do it in yeah. a virtual world like how many how many people are just flipping each other off the whole time right like, right it, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people like the cover of the conference call uh for for big meetings but uh yeah i don't know 200 dollars still i don't know if that's impulse buy territory 
Uh, it's not, but it is fad territory. It is. Like, it's we territory, you know? If, if it can find something that everybody wants to have in their living room, uh, that could be kind of, the, that could be the key. Like, but, uh, but uh, it's going to come down to functionality and software. But this is a really cool piece of tech they're showing here. And I'm speaking to someone who has every headset except the Rift. Yeah. Um, I think they are they are showing that they are taking this next step in a way that the others have. Because well, what did Vive just show? Like, oh, the, he the, the head... Oh, no, PS4. P PlayStation VR showed the headphones are built in now. Yeah, they just, they, they just released a brand new model, I believe today in Japan, mm. of PlayStation VR. So the the balls in, balls in Sony's court now, I guess, to do a, a wireless version, uh, even though well, it was because the other version. Yeah, that new version also has a different pass through box where you can right. actually do you can do HDMR through it now. HDR and the cable is way smaller. Yeah, it's just a skinny little cable now instead of that like ribbon band that goes right. for, well, that literally weighs like two pounds. Well, that's also so you have to buy the new one. Right. Yeah, you can't just use your old VR headset with the new box. Right. Yeah, you can't. You can't do that as well. And uh, but I, I think Sony would be really stupid to split its user base when you only have a million sold. And by the way, this is the one year anniversary of PlayStation VR, mm -hmm. which is hard to believe. I can't believe it's been a year yeah, since that launch. Been a long time. And they've sold a million, a little over a million in a year. Um, when your user base is that small, you really can't afford to split it. No, I mean that's that's only half of PUBG. But yeah, <laughs> then I start to wonder, like, <laughs> what happens with PlayStation Five? Do they introduce a new headset, or I think you need to keep continuity as best you can. Yeah, I mean, if you think it's like about PlayStation it, camera, you know, Play there's the really no reason over. for the old PlayStation VR to not be compatible with yeah. PlayStation Five because really, all PlayStation VR is is just a screen in a mask, a screen in a camera. Yeah. I mean, you're never going to be able to improve the screen that's in there, but you can improve the quality of the yeah. signal that's going into it. I think that should be the, the, the yeah. I mean, I don't see any reason that wouldn't be the same way that the, you know, can use the, you can use you could use uh, the old PlayStation camera on the new one if you wanted. Yeah, and then also Oculus Rift announced that the price drop is now permanent. It is three ninety nine for good. Uh, when they dropped the price and it was supposed to be temporary, it didn't really move the needle anyway. So not sure that that's all that big of an announcement. Um, but it is good to see that Oculus has figured out that it needs to come up with cheaper, more accessible products for people who are not willing to kind of invest an entire week's worth of paycheck into what is essentially a toy for most people. Mm -hmm. So I think Oculus is finally maybe headed on the right track. Um, it w I think it would have been better if they got this out for the holiday season. Because yeah. I do remember last holiday season, my sister reaching out to me and saying, hey, do you think my brother-in-law would like VR? And I said, yeah, he would. And then she's like, okay, well, there's so many. Which one should I get? And I kind of pushed her towards PlayStation VR because he already had a PS4. And as soon as she saw the price, she was like, no way. Mm. And this is a family that's doing very well financially. They live in the same neighborhood as Ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers quarterback. Mm. And she still felt like it was too much. So... I wonder, and that's not a joke, Sam, by the way. <laughs> they actually live in Ben's neighborhood. He trick-or-treated at their house, which is really funny. But uh, Which makes me wonder if even $200 is, is too much, one. And two, coming out in February, March, April, when people don't count on spending kind of that big chunk of money for gifts for the people that they care about... The timing may not be great. Yeah, but at the same time, it gives them time to put out a refined version for the second half of next year, which can actually be the holiday, the holiday purchase. Yeah, because I feel like even no matter how cool this looks right now, there's got to be there's got to be some bugs to iron out. Oh, for sure. So uh, I feel like I feel like maybe the second 
iteration of this might be the winner, you know? Santa Cruz might be their product for Q4 next year, though. That's yeah. my guess. But it wouldn't surprise me to see kind of like a, some kind of like updated, you know, like, like, a, like an Xbox One S style thing like come out yeah. in time for like October, November next year. Yeah. So, uh, man, maybe maybe by that point you'll have some some software built up that really you know takes it takes the wireless aspect you know into account and and shows it off, shows it off well. So a year later with PlayStation VR, would you recommend that people buy it? No. I wouldn't either. <laughs> like, I'm, I still like it, but I haven't put it on in months. Dude, me either. Mine probably has like an eighth of inch of dust on top of it now. It's <laughs> Mine has a lot of mail on it. <laughs> like, it's just like stacked envelopes. Yeah, so. at this point, I would not recommend somebody picking it up. Not for that price. I mean, no. There's nothing there yet. And what price would you recommend it at? 200 bucks? Yeah, if it came with a game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah. Until there's like there still isn't a killer app for it. No. I mean, no matter, it just seems like no matter what, it's stuff I like on it, but it's nothing that ma- makes me go like, man, you need to buy this. Yeah. Sometimes I have as a couple things where I'm like, you need to come over and try this. Right. But that's not the same yeah. as buying yeah. something. Plunking down the cash for it. Um, I just can't ever see the industry get into a place where the biggest developers who make the best games are going to create games for VR first. I mm-hmm. just can't. I mean, we have Insomniac who is creating games for VR extensively, I might add. But the games that it's making, they're not as good as Ratchet and Clank. Yeah, they're not well, as good as Resistance. Well, they're in, not. It's in its infancy. It's a new medium, and they'll get there. But it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, I mean, we're a year in, yeah. plus. <laughs> I mean, overnight. It definitely didn't happen overnight. Well, I think I, even before these things came out, I was saying, like, you know, 10 years. You gotta give, give it about 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I still believe that there's a place for it. I still believe it's kind of the next right. frontier. But we're very much in kind of the, the Atari 2600 NES era of VR. And yeah. look at what we were playing then versus what we're playing that's, now. Yeah, that's true. You know, like, we'll get, it'll get there. But give it time. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine right immediately. I am beginning to wonder though, because you, if you look at the Atari twenty six hundred and the NES, they were extremely successful. Yeah, they made a lot of money off of those, and that has not been the case with VR. And so you start to think on down the road, like Starbreeze is making an HMD, and all these. Other companies are kind of jumping into it. Now Microsoft is finally making a mixed reality headset. Yeah. Well, because they know that someone's going to be the hit. Someone's going to get... Someone's going to be the 2600. But if it doesn't and there happen, were a ton, Remember, how? there were a ton of other game consoles out in competition with the 2600, yeah. and nobody remembers any of them except maybe ColecoVision and Intellivision. Yeah. But there were tons of game... I mean, that's where game console comes from. It's yeah. like, it was like a, a VCR console. It was like a... It was like a, a, a brick of plastic you with a, sometimes with wood paneling because it was 1977 and like <laughs> well the you, atari 2600 you bought at sears yeah were shaped exactly the same but they had like the wood paneling like yep. thing on it everyone who <laughs> had one i knew had the wood paneling one. Oh really yeah i had the the real like atari 2600 but i did have a friend in the the reset button was like different on it and blah 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 but but anyway back to my point is that i just wonder how long investors and publishers are willing to keep throwing money at it without getting a return. I've been asking that about Xbox forever. So, (laughs) Look, I mean, like the idea with the Xbox originally, and that was when Bill Gates was still in charge, but he said, we need to own this space in the 21st century and I don't care how much money it costs. Yeah. And somewhere out there, there are people saying the same thing about VR. But do they have as much money as Bill Gates and Microsoft? uh, Zuckerberg's pretty close. Yeah. I mean... If Facebook wants to own that, they can. And well, they do already. And it I sounds mean, like they are 
you know, sounds like they're pushing forward. I mean, it's costing Elon Musk a lot of money to get into space too, but in the end, it will probably pay off for him. But he but, also. In but we're talking about people. I mean, with Zuckerberg as well, we're talking about people who are thinking decades down the road. Yeah. So, and the thing about Zuckerberg is he's young enough that he'll he has to see it. decades. You'll <laughs> get yeah. to see it. Yeah, that's not the case for a lot of executives at these big tech companies. Uh, he's definitely one of the younger ones, but that's what happens when you're a genius, I guess. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about crowdfunding. Hmm. Um, but the, more the opposite. Yeah. Of what yeah, exactly. Uh, more specifically, Fig. Mm-hmm. So. Fig, for those of you who may not know, is a crowdfunding service where you don't just throw your money into a pit and you eventually get a free copy of the game and you get to enjoy the Mm -hmm. fact that you helped fund the game. Fig is an actual investing platform for game development where you put your money in with the idea that if the game is successful, you actually make money on your money. If you are that level of investor. If you're, right, and if you're accredited and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I mean, you can just back something the same way as Kickstarter. You it, can. But you can also take it one step further. And put a little more money in with the idea that you make money back. Mm-hmm. And the returns are starting to come in from FIG. The first project that it created, the investors doubled their money in essentially two weeks. Pretty good. That There's no investment better than that. Mm-hmm. None. You're, you're never going to find a way. It may be drug dealing. I don't even know. But there, I can't think of another way to double your money in that amount of time. Well, you could be Chris Roberts. Chris Roberts? The guy who's making Star Citizen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or you could be the guy who created PUBG. Right. <laughs> who went from couch surfing to, like, probably going to be a billionaire ultimately well, or close to it i don't it. think so you don't think it'll be a billionaire eventually i think that's a, a myth people believe about game development but like if you look at what blue hole is doing they are diversifying and they are expanding they are you don't keep all that money for yourself if you expect expect your company to be around for a few decades yeah yeah like, but i'm like just saying guys, somebody just swoops in and just buys it well i guess so but i don't think he's interested in that he might if the price tag's high enough maybe but like He's got to build that company first. Yeah. Like, like at that point, at this point, you're buying potential if you do that, where it could be worth a lot more if you build it into a Minecraft situation. Yeah. Which Minecraft, you know, early on was a sensation, but Minecraft eventually proved itself to be a cultural phenomenon. If you get that point with PUBG, that's when you get the five billion dollar payout from Microsoft. But I mean, I'm just talking about one billion. Right. And I mean, it is kind of a cultural phenomenon already. Uh, from, from a certain slice of the culture, yes. Right. But I there's mean, more. But there's more to be had there, which is, I think, why they were so mad about Fortnite. Yeah. Um, because that is going to cut into their ability to expand their niche out into the console, or cut into their ability to negotiate a bigger price. Eh, like PUBG is PUBG. Like, but PUBG could also have been PUBG on consoles. But look, if they're negotiating with a company, and the company's like, "Well, there's Fortnite over here, and it mm-hmm. has as many players as you almost, and it's only been around for three weeks." I mean, that does undercut you a little bit in negotiations. Somewhat. Like, but I, so what I'm saying is, like, I don't think anyone's thinking about buying them yet. Yeah. I think Microsoft may be thinking real hard about buying, buying PUBG. Mm, I just don't, I don't know if that's really happening yet. Like, it, it, it's not... Because pr- it would be too smart. It, partly, <laughs> but also because there's probably other people, you know, there's, there's rumors about Tencent taking a look. Yeah. Um, and they'd probably be willing to spend more money. Uh, and, I mean, look, if Microsoft was smart, they would buy the, at least buy the exclusive console rights to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it doesn't look like that's on the table. Yep. Um, but, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. 
Like, uh, I, don't, I, I think people look at, like, some of the sales some of these games have and assume the people that made them are suddenly filthy rich, and that's just not the case. Yeah. It's just, no, it, no, that's absolutely not the case. Yeah. Most people who make games, they're not wealthy at all. No. Uh, there's a, a big rank-and-file sort of grunt yeah. component. I mean, even Notch games. wasn't that rich until Microsoft bought the company. Yeah, from him, I mean, it's probably worth $100 million maybe, something like that, from Minecraft before he sold. I mean, I don't know if uh, it's even that much at that yeah. point. It's crazy. So anyway, let's get back to crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. So Fig is kind of the new kid on the block. It was backed by Double Fine and Tim Schafer. I think he helped ingratiate people to the platform because for whatever reason, everybody trusts Tim Schafer. <laughs> it's just something about the way he is. And look, if you've met him, and I'm sure you have, mm -hmm. I've met him oh, many yeah. times. He is an awesome guy. And uh, a lot of times you meet people who are really awesome and they don't come across that way on camera or in public it, until you get to really know them. But he is exactly who we come, like who he yeah. is on camera. That's who he is. Yeah. And I think he helped. There's no guile in Tim Schafer. Yeah. And I think it helped convince people to say, okay, well, if Tim's cool with this, then I'm cool mm. with it. And in that way, Fig was incredibly smart to get him on board. I yeah. mean, maybe. Well, Fig was also started by Justin Bailey. Right. Uh, who is not a Metroid reference. He is a real person. Yeah. And he worked with Double Fine. You know, he's very worked very closely with Tim Schafer on a lot of things as well. I mean, this is a this is in in some ways a Double Fine spinoff. Yeah. Uh, and in, and what may end up making more money than Double Fine yeah. ever did. And in general, <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, it's I. I mean, I did do a little a little freelance work for Fig uh, that didn't really come. It didn't really get published or anything. Uh -huh. But I, I did some stuff with them early on when they were starting to launch. And as uh, far as I could tell, that, that company's run by a bunch of real stand-up people. Yeah, like they're 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 smart, but they're also like good. Yeah, as far as I could tell. So we've seen Kickstarter. And it looks like they're coming through on what they said that was going to be. Yeah, so. I mean, it, absolutely. I mean, the, uh, whoever dreamed that the investments would pay off that much? In that's this a cra that's a crazy return. I mean, investments just don't do that. Well, the craziest <laughs> part about it too is that I mean, the first game that they're talking about is called like Kingdoms and Castles mm -hmm. or something like that. Is basically just like a world building game with some light tower defense. So. To be perfectly honest with you, if I were looking at this project, and we're seeing it right now, mm -hmm. and I were like, should I invest in this? I would have said, hell no. I would have never, ever invested in yeah, this I'm, game. Yeah, I get goddess flashbacks from this. Yes. You know? But this game, I mean, it turned a massive, huge profit for the investors. So you start looking at Kickstarter, which, if you look at all the metrics, is kind of slowly fading. Um, Square's latest game didn't hit its goal. Which no. is shocking. It wasn't even close. But also the amount of money he was asking was He's asking for a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. He, I thought that was a little shady, if you ask me. Like I don't think it was shady. I think it was optimistic. Yeah. And he's, and he's apparently relocating the Kickstarter for a later another attempt at a lower price range. I just felt like what he was asking for that game. Yeah. Like, well, just, he didn't I mean, look, need he, that much money to make that game, in my opinion. Well, he probably needs way more than that. But it's, it's one of those kind of like starter fund things. Um, but I think the pro part of the problem was like it's very hard. He it, look, I love Swery's games, but I think you really ran into the problem. It's like imagine trying to pitch one of Swery's games yeah. to people. Yeah. Like, how do you even begin? And that, this game had the, even as someone who loves his games and loves weird like kind of offbeat game things and loves cats. Like I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't make heads or tails out of what cats. this was supposed to be. And I'm like, I think so, but I'm not. I feel like I need a demo first or something before I throw money at this. It's like yeah. it's a lot easier to throw money at something you fully under. I mean, you look at that. Even if I'm not interested in that castle building thing, I understand what I'm what looking it is, at yeah. when I see that. <laughs> like it's a harder. You understand that there are some people who do enjoy games like yeah. that at least. 
it's on a, a harder, base level. It's a harder pitch. We're like, oh, you're this woman, but you turn into a cat at night, and then you do. Then you realize just the like, whole town know. turns into yeah, cats. Yeah, they all turn into cats. Like, but then you can buy the dogs version. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. It's like some kind of Sonic Unleashed meets, meets Nintendogs thing. I don't yeah. know what you're doing here. But the percentage of gaming Kickstarters that actually succeed has fallen off a cliff over the last Well, people have wised years. up. Right, because they've got burned by games like Mighty Number no. 9. I mean, we can go on yeah. and on about games that haven't actually turned out. Or and just... I think people have, at the very least, people have started to realize, like, A, if you get involved in this, you're, you're putting your money out there right now and you're not going to see anything for two years. They, they, people are aware and have, have gotten, you know, they've adjusted to the time span between spending the money and seeing the product. And the other Which thing could is, like, be never. Could, be a, could be never, <laughs> yeah. But even in, if it is, it's like you're talking about a, a good sp- chunk of time. I think the only thing I've kickstarted that really came, games-wise, that came out when they said it was going to come out is Sundered. Yeah. Um... Which I did kickstart and I forgot I did it. <laughs> yeah. I, at one point, I was like, "Oh, that Sunder game looks it pretty cool." So long. And sudden, and suddenly, it wasn't that long. It was like a year and a half. But like, it, came, but it was it was a pretty fast turnaround. But I just didn't remember doing it. Yeah. And uh, I was like, "Oh, that Sunder game's did coming out." Did you buy out. it? No, I got it. It was right when I was thinking, like, "Oh, that Sunder game's coming out next week. I think I should take a look at that." And I got the code in my email. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> thank God." <laughs> Because I, I looked at it, I'm like, that seems like something I would be interested in. And indeed it was. My past self gave me a gift and I didn't even realize it. That's well, like when you buy stuff when you're drunk. And right. it shows up at your door. Like, hey, <laughs> I kind of like what's me. in the box. Yeah. But uh, like, I've, I've slowed way down on the game Kickstarter stuff for a similar reason. Because I know that yeah. if, I, if it turns out to be something that I really do want to play or I really do want... I can just buy, buy it then. It. I can just buy and sure, it, it's yeah. like maybe 15 bucks in the Kickstarter and like 30 bucks then, but it's like... Eh. Does it really matter? No. Because you're, you're taking the risk with the $15 that you may not get right. anything, or if you do get it, it and could be terrible. some of it takes so long that with inflation calculated in, that $15 is worth $30 now. Yeah. So. <laughs> so do you think, because the other thing about Fig is it seems like the projects are vetted a lot more than they are on Kickstarter. Yes. Like anyone can just go on Kickstarter and say, I'm doing this, give me some money. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot more uh, top-down control on Fig because there has to be because there's real you know there's real money, money and consequences if you you know because that's what people you know people t- like use the rhetoric about Kickstarter is like I'm an investor and like no you're a donor yeah like you're donating money and hoping a game pops back out of that hole in a couple of years but in Fig you're really and you know if you're an investor Fig really does have legit investors in these projects you you have a responsibility legally to these to these investors and. That needs to be policed in a in a more sober manner than I think Kickstarter does with its own projects. So you think the <coughs> excuse me the higher quality of the projects the the vetting of the projects do you think that that is having a big impact on why Fig is starting to do so well? I think so, and I think also the experience of the people that kind of make up their sort of board of judges or whatever yeah. you want to call you know Bailey and and uh, Schaefer and. I think they've got uh, some old uh, Interplay guys on there and Black Isle guy. I mean, it's, it's uh, there's some top freaking development talent, like kind of like serving as advisors uh, on this thing. And uh, yeah, this, I I kind of uh, attribute that with the when you see like that the Castles game where it's like clearly these guys who know a good game from a bad game were able to look at this thing and say like, yeah, this is a winner. Like this yeah. is something this is something to to put on our website. And so far, it seems to be working. Would would you ever consider investing in a game on Fig? I would consider it, but uh, it's just not something I've gotten around to because the process is actually you know you got to go through like, a, like credit checks and like yeah. oh, I mean, you have to a, become it's accredited. A real, it's a real thing because you, know? you have to make sure you have X amount of dollars in mm-hmm. in your overall wealth 
You have to make sure you have X amount of dollars in liquidity yep. that you can access at any time. You, not just anybody can go in and start giving money to mm -hmm. big projects. Well, you can. But you, you can, won't, but you, you won't would get not a return. Get an, on yeah, your there's investment. no return from that. Right. So it seems to me that Fig is kind of the best of both worlds. I mean, you mm -hmm. can go in and do the Kickstarter thing if you want, but if you're serious about it, you can go in and make some serious cash. Yeah. I mean, if you can get approved for it and like you, you can make your decisions wisely, I don't see why not. Yeah. And clearly, you know, judging by Swery's game, like uh, not to be not to be negative about it, but it's like clearly uh, there seems to be a little more of uh, you know some some judgment being used on the part of the people signing, you know, donating or investing because uh, you know you would think that a Swery game is a big niche favorite, and niche favorites do real well with these crowdfunding it things. It generally does. Yeah. Uh, but like clearly, you know, when when that kind of investment is on the line, it didn't fly. And uh, I think to me that's actually a positive thing for, for Fig is like you look at that and it's weird and it's unconventional, but it's also not doesn't appear to be a particularly safe investment. And the Fig, you know, the Fig investors shied away from it. Yeah. And like that is how it should work. You're right. Really. I mean, it's a negative thing in the sense that like we don't get to play this weird game and I like all of his stuff. But at the same time, his stuff isn't particularly successful and that makes it a bad investment. And that's why he can't get shit made, which is why he's trying to crowdfund it. No, you're absolutely so, right. So yep. Kickstarter may be the smarter location for that. Yep. So we'll see. I mean, these are two traje opp opposite trajectories. We've got Kickstarter that's on the down. Mm -hmm. We've got Fig that's on the up. Um, it'll be interesting to see in like above it all, years. Star Citizen. Yeah, you're right. Star Citizen's <laughs> like the line, the flat line that is. I have a feeling is going to eventually maybe go down. Not yet. You, it's. I thought. I thought Star half a Citizen, billion dollars can go a long way. Yeah. Well, I thought Star Citizens. Um, in like like donation stuff would fall off when lifetime insurance ended, right? Which was like November 2013. Right, that was your last that chance did, to cover your ass. That was the last time to basically for like any ship you bought before then. Anytime it blows up in the game, you get another one instantly pops up for free in your hangar, mm -hmm. and then after that, any ship you buy, you'd have to get insurance on it in the game, paying in-game currency or whatever. That's so dirty. Which is yeah, it's. Uh, um, <laughs> So I thought it would end up because like because like the the advantage of of paying real money for these things early on was like you're gonna get these big ships that you can basically always respawn if something horrible happened to them right, right. yeah um, whereas after that you're spending real money on these things that if they get blown up and you don't have the insurance on them they're gone forever that's so and, dirty man and like insurance it's just a one or a zero that they yeah. flip in the code <laughs> it's so the, crappy dude. They've, the you know, player, the player bit. I don't even want to call them player bit. I mean, like the community, for <laughs> the start, they've accepted it. <laughs> yeah, you know that is apparently that's okay with them, with these people that spend a hundred thousand dollars on freelance ships. They want to start a ship rental business. There's a guy who wants to do. He's got like a hundred freelancers in a, in a giant hangar, and he's like, I'll rent them out. And I'm just like, okay. Sure. I mean, it is kind of interesting because it does kind of create this virtual reality yeah. with its own economy and its own business. I mean, this and... kind of thing, not on that level, but this kind of thing where like things are worth real money and time equates to real money and there's sort of that kind of value assigned to things, that is what makes a lot of like those weird EVE Online stories so interesting is yeah. when like people pull some crazy heists. I, I think there, if Star System ever comes out, and I think it will, but if it ever, but if it ever comes out and actually fulfills the promise of what they say they're trying to make, I think it's, you're going to get some equally interesting stories out of it. I just don't know if I'm going to be involved. Well, you're already involved. I though. am involved, but it's like 
it feels like this thing is so huge that it's going to be like EVE Online where you could just mine asteroids your whole life and never see anything interesting the whole time. Meanwhile, like somewhere off in some other quadrant, like this crazy thing's happening. And you're like, well, I could go see what's happening, but I might get blown up and I don't have insurance right now. <laughs> and that's a terrible way to have to make a gameplay decision. Think about that. <laughs> if this gets blown up, all the money I spent on this is gone. You're staying in the garage. Yep. Like, you're staying in the garage. I'm taking the origin. You know, yeah, like, or you just try to sell it to somebody. Well, that's people have started the the, the price on uh, reselling Star Citizen accounts has Star Citizen accounts has dropped a lot. Oh, it has. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's still up there. You can still make your money back from what you spend on it a little bit extra. But it used to be like, you know, if you had the right lifetime insurance ships, you could make three, four times what you paid for it. And now that seems to be pretty much over. But I don't know why people still throw money at that thing. But I guess the true believers are going to be the true believers, and we'll see what happens if it ever comes out. Because that 3.0 update for the alpha is like a year overdue. I'm really starting to wonder. Because 3.0 was they showed that a game Gamescom last year and this year, and it was supposed. To, they said last year at Gamescom the 3.0 would be uh, out in December, and it is almost December again. So mm. they put up videos every day. I don't know. Like, five of them a day. I think that, I think uh, Star Citizen is Sea of Thieves needs to have a developer <laughs> diary sh- like showdown. <laughs> like, just, just fight to the death in a parking lot A dev lot diary somewhere. off. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just pirates versus space ninjas or something. I don't know. Yep. Uh, all right, we're going to move on. We're going to talk next about games as a service, another hot-button topic, along with loot boxes and toxicity that seem to hmm. be making the rounds every week in the industry. Um... This week, a, a research company called Digital River said that uh, games as a service have tripled. Is this the same Digital River that always screws up my limited edition shipments? Problem? I doubt it. Because there's a there's a shipping <laughs> Digital River thing that like every time I've ordered one of the because uh, was it Square Enix used to do their their limited editions through Digital River and it would always take weeks to get there. It's possible. It doesn't seem likely, but it's possible. I don't know, I don't know why, if, if that's not <laughs> but that you, is a very unique name. name by yeah, the way. it's it's not a common. <laughs> so they actually just parroted what Pack has been saying for months, which mm-hmm. is that games as a service. While less packaged products are sold, the actual revenue generated by the industry is growing exponentially. Um, Triple the industry. That seems a little, maybe, boundary-pushing to me. I don't Mm. know if that's the case. I feel like there would have been more pushback on this if it wasn't true. Yeah, but Matt... The the big publishers would be like, we're not making... Who, where? Everyone I know involved in development is saying, like, yeah, they keep doing it that way because it works. Yeah. If people weren't... It's like if people weren't buying loot boxes, they wouldn't have loot boxes anymore. That's just the bottom line. But what I want to ask you, Matt, is do you prefer games as a service with fewer games coming out, or do you prefer the old way where games were maybe a little more disposable, but there were a lot more of them. I don't care. Really? As long as they're good, like, I don't care what kind of form they take. Have you found yourself getting hooked into games as a service, though? Because personally, no. I have not. Not I, really. There, I've not found a single game that I play where I become a games as a service person, where mm. I play this one game over and over, and I'm putting money into it through microtransactions and loot boxes or whatever the hell else they use. To, to sustain them, constantly buying the DLC. And part of it is what I do, mm-hmm. that I can't spend a ton of time on one game. But even if I could, and maybe I'm just conditioned to being this way because I've been doing this for 20 years or whatever, but 
I don't really have any interest in playing one game for like three years. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. Like that's yeah. some of these people play these games for like three years. Like I eventually get bored of the mechanics mm-hmm. of games, and I don't want to keep playing them. Like even you know, there was a time where I would play Call of Duty, and it was kind of like my snack game. So I would play it all year until the next one came out. But it was like that game that I played while I waited for my wife to get ready to go out to eat. I'd play like three rounds of deathmatch or whatever. Or I have two hours before I need to go to bed. I don't feel like diving into something crazy epic. And I would just play it for a little while. I, uh, I've never got into a game as a service. And obviously a lot of people are but you say you have no preference not really i mean as long as the game is good i'll play it as long as i play it and then i'll move on to something else because i'm also the same way i don't play things for 400 500 hours very often but right i wasn't asking you whether you like games that are designed as games as a service better than games that aren't designed as games as a service i'm talking about kind of the overall environment that we're in now where more games that are coming out are games as a service and there are less games to play because of it. Well, I don't agree with that. So, I mean, that's I've had what more the data more, says. Well, I've had more than I can play this year already, and this is one of the best years for games ever. So clearly, everything's pretty much okay. Like, like I don't, I don't see. I mean, and it's, everybody's making money off of it if it's tripling the. I mean, I don't see a downside there. Like, well, I think what you're seeing is games like. Let me see if I can think of one that would have appeared last gen that wouldn't appear now. Like uh, a game like Dante's Inferno from EA. Like, that's a game that showed up last generation, not a great game, B-level game or whatever, but something different, different setting, maybe a little more risky. You don't see games like that from EA anymore. Every game EA puts out now is a platform that it expects to build and expand upon, and it wants to get people in and, and stay hooked into it, yeah. and well, keep I mean, buying I... DLC. Do you, would you rather have an environment where you do kind of see those more off-kilter B-level games well, I got one scattered of in a little bit? I got one of those this year. It's called Hellblade Send to a Sacrifice. <laughs> like, and it was actually good, not shit yeah. like Dante's Inferno. Like, it's, like that's, that thing still exists. It's still there. I mean, the games as a service thing is a triple-A level thing. Not to go all Jim Sterling on it, but like yeah. uh, a triple-A kind of thing. It was like, <laughs> um, like that's, a, that's the high-level top, you know, kind of like big-budget guys. And like there's always going to be something more. You know, the indie scene has sort of moved up and, you know, stepped up, frankly, and kind of filled that gap that the B-list games have, ser- have used to serve. And I don't feel like I'm really missing anything there. I think, but I do feel like I'm missing something. Um, you look at a game like you're missing, Rain- you're missing shitty games based on the classic literature. They're not all crappy though. If you look at a game like uh, Rainbow Six Siege, there's a good mm-hmm. example. I'm a huge Rainbow Six fan. I enjoyed Last Generation when we got a new Rainbow Six every two or three years. I liked that. Now we have this multiplayer focused Rainbow Six mm-hmm. Siege. That, that it appears that's probably the only Rainbow Six game we're going to get out of Ubisoft this entire generation. I'm not okay with that. I would prefer to play more and new Rainbow Six games. The other thing that you're forgetting too, or maybe not forgetting, but just overlooking, is that this also means that most of the content that you're playing is multiplayer focused. It's mm-hmm. not single player campaign sort of driven content. And I do miss that. I like you know I finished Destiny Two. I'm probably not going to go back and play it again. Like, I, once I played it through the 24-hour stream mm-hmm. for, like, four or five hours and realized how much work it was going to take before I was ever going to be able to tackle my first raid, like, I'm over it. And so I know Destiny 2 is going to stick around now for the next however long. I really liked Destiny 2 when I was playing through its content. But you might go back and play it when the, ne- when the first expansion comes out. Possible. Because here's the, well, the thing, if, if it follows the same... 
you know, curve that most MMOs do and Destiny 1 did, when the new expansion comes out, it's going to be a lot easier to get to that power level that it takes forever to get to now. And you can kind of like start, you can kind of consume the content. That's what I did on Destiny 1. I consumed the content kind of a year behind everybody else because it got easier to get up to that power level and then see the stuff I couldn't see before. And I didn't mind that. It was like, you know, I, I guess I can see how someone would feel like they're kind of left in the dust if they if this is what they want to play. It's the only thing they want to play. But I'm just not like, it's like you say, like I'm not a huge multiplayer uh, person in that regard. Um, and like on one hand, like, yeah, it sucks that Rainbow Six has kind of become that, but that's one of the few examples I can think of that is like that. I feel like I've played a lot of single player campaigns that were really top quality this year. We are getting a single player campaign out of Battlefront 2 where there wasn't one before, so that's a that's step a in point. that direction. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I have less to play in that regard. Um, I mean, I agree with you that like I don't play stuff forever. In this, in the because I get tired of the game. I can, you know, like like I said, I think a couple shows ago, I played 500, 600 hours of Fantasy Star Online, and I still feel mildly ill when I hear the title screen. <laughs> you know, just just I like, love that music though. <laughs> oh yeah, but just the revulsion of like, oh, I, I just I start hearing all the sound effects and thinking about all the maps, and it's just like, <laughs> it's all still in there. <laughs> Some of the crazy. I played. I did. It's it's like how I don't like thinking about like 24 hour fitness because I worked operations there for like <laughs> yeah. for two years, right. and I, it just reminds me of their database program, and I just don't. Right want to think about it and um yeah so i don't you know the, the very rare exceptions are things like mass effect which i played the mass effect games 700 hours total across all saves i don't do that for anything multiplayer i don't care if i'm better at that shooting someone in the face than anybody else which is part of the problem why i don't get addicted to those games the only thing i do is fighting games uh, and I think that's a more interesting conflict to me, but partly because I've been playing since the, since the arcades in the early 90s, and I probably just don't know any better. Like, yeah. if, I, if I'd never played those then, would those appeal to me now? I don't know. Probably not. Don't you think, though, that any time developers are making less games, the chances of those developers creating something innovative is less? Maybe. But, like, games as a, the, most of the games-as-a-service games are not innovative games. They're games that provide a particular type of gameplay that people have proven they liked and they're trying to find a way to keep them playing their brand of that. It's like saying that Hostess cupcakes don't reinvent the cupcake every time. Nobody cares about whether the cupcake's any good. They want their, that brand. That's the idea. I, I don't think that's a fair comparison, though. I think, I think it's absolutely I think a fair comparison. I think with games, people care about innovation more than they do about snack cakes. I think you're completely wrong. Snack cakes. Innovation, <laughs> doesn't, no, innovation doesn't mean shit. Execution is everything. Otherwise, people wouldn't buy the same damn Call of Duty every year. But innovation with execution is what, in my oh, opinion, makes the industry go around. I mean, you look at a no. game like Shadow of Mordor. I mean, in the Nemesis system. Oh, that's great. Let's see how it sells. Probably not, probably not as much because everybody's freaked out about loot boxes. Or if you want to go the other direction... But uh, that has nothing to do with the, the base discussion that we're having, which is the more, well, right. the well, more get... developers create, the chances are higher that they're going to create something different and unique and compelling. Which doesn't translate into sales nearly as much as making the same proven thing over and over again. Look, I'm not arguing whether what's going to make more money. We started this conversation by saying that this model has tripled the industry. Right. I'm saying as a player, which is better? Which do you like more? Um, depends on the game. I mean, I think it depends on the player. Like, clearly there's a whole lot of people out there that don't really want Pokemon to change too much. Yeah. Or they I wouldn't mean, buy I, the same thing, thing over and over again. One thing I will say is I feel like Japan has kind of been immune to this. Japan still is in that old model. And you saw Square Enix like a week ago talking about how, hey, like we need to get into this games as a service yeah. thing. Well, I think they're edging towards that a little bit with Final Fantasy XV. Oh, definitely. That's their Maybe that wasn't their, the original plan, plan, but I think, oh, yeah. I think they've sort of... <laughs> Figured they, it out yeah. on the fly, yeah. 
uh, that's clearly what's happening with that game right now. Even though the idea of putting starting that game up again is crazy to me. <laughs> but like, um, but I don't know. I've seen people say like playing. You know, they played it at launch, play it now. They say it's a totally different game. I don't believe them, but I like, <laughs> but if they can convince a large, I actually enjoyed it the first time though. I didn't think it was a bad game. Yeah, yeah, no, it's well documented on the show. You're not a fan. But me personally, like, but I, hey, props to them for sticking with it yeah. and not just stepping away. Yeah, you're right. And trying to make it better. Well, because... if you got twelve years wrapped up in something, it's kind of yeah. hard to just walk away from it. True. But I, I totally understand your perspective. But from my perspective, I would prefer to go to a place where some of these developers that actually have resources, because some people argue, oh, the indies fill that in, but they don't. It's like. You could tell the difference between an indie game and a game that actually has a decent budget and still tries to do some new ideas. Mm. And that's what I would argue is that the new concepts are all now be given to teams of like six guys that have like a million dollars to make a game. Like I would prefer to have $10 million budget, 40 guys working on a new concept. And look, there's no denying either what you say, that these games as a service games are really sound, solid, polished games. There's no denying that. Mm. But... I think when you try to bring new people into the industry and you're trying to get new people to become gamers like us and not just someone who buys like a game or two a year, I think you need those new ideas because by now most people have played Call of Duty. They've played shooters. They've played an MMO. They know what they are and they, they know already that they don't care enough about that stuff to become someone who buys one game a month instead of one game a year. And I think you need those new experiences with a little bit of marketing and money behind them in order to get kind of new people into the fold. I mean, you look at games like Nintendogs or something like that. Like, that's an insane concept, really, when you think about it. But Nintendo was like, hey, we'll put a, a team of guys on this game, we'll, we'll shove some money their way, and we'll see what happens. And it became a phenomenon that was a Trojan horse that got more casual people into games again. So, I don't know. It's a double-edged sword because... You, as the data suggests, the industry has tripled in revenue because of this stuff. But who's to say that if they had not stayed on the same path that it wouldn't have happened? Look at the Wii. I mean, the Wii was this crazy, weird idea that drove a lot of revenue into the industry, although it could be argued that it didn't well, convince the, people to become people like us. Right. It absolutely didn't. It was the pet rock. Yeah. It was people's like, oh, I want to play this thing. It's a box that plays Wii Bowling. Like, yeah. that was what that thing was. It did not make anybody in a gamer, at least not in large droves. And mo I think most of those systems just sat on, they sat and collected dust. I don't, I, Where are all those Wiis now? They're still sitting up there. They're in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> and, like, most of them probably still have their Wii Sports disc they in They probably them. do, yeah. Like, they never left <laughs> from right. the day they were bought. Yeah. You know? Like, it, it's... And that was innovation. It like was, that was that was a new idea, for and sure. uh, that new idea had about three months of life in it for most <laughs> well, people. A little bit longer, it. but I mean, I mean, you got to space it out for like how much. You know, but most people I know who are not gamers who bought the Wii after about three months, they were done. Yeah. That, was, that was how long that was how long that lasted. It kind of became, and a... people kept buying it over the course of the next few years. I mean, it's not like it was three months and no one cared about the Wii again. But I'm, that had about a three month shelf life once you finally purchased one. It became like a party thing, though. Even yeah. when people stopped playing it on their own, like you got to the bar or whatever, you, you go, right. go out drinking. You go back to someone's house, you see the Wii sitting there, you're like, hey, you got a Wii Sports? Well, of course I do. Yeah, it came with the system, right? Moron, and then you start <laughs> playing, and then you start playing, yeah. and then you end up playing it for three or four hours, like. I think its legs were a little longer than a few months, but but still, the point is that it never became the evangelist to get people to become no. core gamers. Well, the other thing is because what you're playing on that is not a core game, right? You know, it's yeah, not it the same experience. Either. And yeah. uh, you know, similar thing happened with uh, Guitar Hero and Rock Band. 
Yeah. That lasted longer, I think. But it, yeah. it, after a certain point, they because were of the so many... karaoke part of it, right? Which is something anyone can relate the to. The absolute party game element of it. But like at so, a certain point, you can only have so many plastic guitars in your damn house. Yeah, I still um, have a closet full of those. I still have a bunch of those. And last time I, I tried, like... they don't work anymore. Oh, they don't. Yeah. Oh, uh, you can't. Yeah, you can't use them on the new consoles. I actually have like the guitars that were made out of like wood. Yeah, I have. They're like real guitars. I have one of those without one of my, strings. My one of my friends moved uh, last year, and he had it was it was the Stratocaster, the full Stratocaster made by Stratocaster that worked yeah. with Rock Band, and he just gave it to me because he's like, I'm never going to use this. Yeah, sitting in the other room over there, there's a stool for Rock Band for the drums. I have one, I have a drum <laughs> it's drum like a that real I real drum stool. Oh yeah, I, I bought one of those for my drums. Now, now I use it for my uh, cocktail arcade cabinet. Oh, so it's still that's still uh, still Relevant. has a use, but yeah. it's not. Uh, it is crazy when you really start going through your closets, you look at all the stuff you spent money on and how so much of it isn't worth anything. Oh, I have a... Uh, when I, I'm going through my closet, I realize I have, a, I have an old Fanatec uh, steering oh, wheel wow. thing. I'm just like, oh, that! I have... Yeah. Hmm. I have a Logitech wheel, and it's just been sitting in a closet for like four yeah. years. Like Steel battalions back there somewhere. Yeah. You know, it's just... <laughs> uh, disposable income. I wish I had more of it these days. But... but uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, they're doing just fine with the, you know, financially. And, like, I mean, as a business, the idea is you take the thing that's proven and you try to sell it to as many people who have proven to be interested in it as possible. And they're doing that real well. You know, I think you're, you've, you're seeing people compete for kind of that shooter dollar, so to speak. You've got people, you know, Destiny 2. Oh, it's like a, this thing. Oh, well, no, you want to play Rainbow Six Siege. This one's free. Well, Call of Duty's coming out. We're going back to World War Two. He's like, what about the one that's Star Wars based? You know, it's like... You're just trying to attract people. It's like, this is the kind of thing we know you like to play, and we want you to play this one instead of all the other ones, and we want you to play it for the rest of the year. Yeah. And uh, it really, I mean, to me, it really does feel like everybody, you know, it's like a soda war. It's like, oh, it's everyone's got a cola, but you want to drink this cola. Right. Why? Because it tastes, does it taste different? No, but like. I would argue that sometimes, it does. <laughs> sure. I mean, no one, can, no one can deny that playing Destiny 2 feels different from playing Battlefront 2, which feels different from playing World War 2. What's yeah. the twos? What's all the twos? But I guarantee you, if someone on the outside looking in would say they all look the same. Right. Because you're shooting stuff. And then take a sip of Sprite. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it's just, you know, that's what it looks like to me is like you're trying to, get, you're not just trying to get people to try your product. You're trying to get them to commit to your product. You're trying to get, you know, like the people who will not drink Pepsi. They yeah. will drink only Coke. That's, like that's me. That's the, well, yeah, me too. But the brand loyalty, <laughs> like the brand loyalty thing is what these comp, these top end publishers are after right now. That's the shift, I think. Yeah. The shift is, they're trying to shift from, from this idea of like, oh, you consume each game as like an individual like entree and they want to make it like, I play Call of Duty. I mean, Call of Duty already had that to some degree because of the yeah. size. But now they want it to be like, that. you know, Destiny wants a piece of that. Battlefront 2 wants a piece of that. Battlefront 2 is going to have a hard time doing that because I think of all the loot box problems, that's the one that's going to be the problem. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just, and it's a thing that doesn't happen with something like Horizon or Zelda. Yeah. Where, where people don't, you know, people do obsessively play those games. People are still playing Zelda. And you can see uh, them kind of getting in. They both have the the season pass thing happening, but that's not exactly the same thing because it's not it doesn't, a game it doesn't, platform. It doesn't create that loyalty, that daily loyalty. And that's that maybe goes back to the heart of what I was talking about. Is I would like to see more games like Zelda in less mm-hmm. games like Destiny. Well, if we hadn't just gotten Zelda and I was just Horizon using that as an example, that, but, but it's just like I feel like those games are still there. It doesn't feel to me like I'm being shorted on. <coughs> we just waited how many years for Zelda? Well, that's Nintendo. That's not. But it's still. It's not, that's it's not like Zelda was delayed because Nintendo was trying to come up with the games as a service idea. Splatoon. 
That's different. They're not charging <laughs> anything for that. Well, what do you mean? The, the maps are free on that game, right? Uh, I believe... It's not a game as a service. It's just you want to play this as long as you want to play it because it's fun. Yeah. Like, it's different than charging you for that extra Oh, I think stuff. most people who play games as a service games would say that they continue playing it because they think it's fun. Yeah, but Splatoon's not going to ask any more money. Out Which I can't understand after two years of playing the same game how someone could still say it was fun, but... Yeah, well, people would say that about you and Madden, too. Yeah. But... Well, I don't play as Madden as much as I used to. Call of so. Duty? No, I don't play that as much as I used to either. Not at all. It was funny. On, uh, a lot of people are rediscovering that, I, or, or discovering that I am, in fact, still alive <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. And uh, so some of them are like, oh, my God, it's Shane. He's, like, not dead or whatever. And uh, people are funny. Like, they, like, we, we had some, like... like Invisible Walls fans? or Yeah, or just people freeing me from GT or whatever. And uh, people, it's funny, they still assume that, like, someone left a comment saying, oh, Shane's a... We made, like, an offhanded comment about Call of Duty. And somebody actually wrote, well, Shane's a COD fanboy. Hmm. <laughs> I was just like, man, you, you are living you in must like. You missed the part where like you spent ten minutes ripping the Call of Duty beta. Yeah, a new, yeah. it's like, wow. Yeah, and it wasn't on that episode either. And uh, I was like, man, like you're still living in like 2007 or like 2008. It's crazy. Like, hey everyone, I'm still alive, and I'm not a Call of Duty fanboy. <laughs> it's really bizarre. It's just funny how people get an impression of you from whatever reason, mm -hmm. and then you're just slapped with that label for like the rest of your life or whatever. So yeah, well, I still think he was a Call of Duty guy. So. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't hardly. I don't. The last two years, I've hardly played it at all. It's turned yeah. into just another shooter for me at this point, where I play it for like a couple weeks. Well, and... what's the thing you play? Is there anything that I play like constantly? Yeah. Uh, still League of Legends, League of Legends, maybe. Mm. Still a game that I play a lot. Um, not a lot, but it kind of fills in like any hours that I have that, right. to kill. Uh, I, don't, I don't. You know, the game that I still go back to just like to play, to play, you know, just to fill time to, to play is uh, The Witcher Three and No Man's Sky. Interesting. Those, those are the two I play. Games like that, I always look at as like, oh my god, like the world is so huge, and like I'll go back in there, I won't even remember what I'm supposed to be doing, and like I never look I at those I games as like quick get off hit. The horse. Yeah, I don't feel like but I can get in and out real quick on those games. I picked it back. I mean, I played The Witcher 3 probably 200 hours yeah. total between the PS4 and the PC version. Uh -huh. And uh, I, mean, I admit, I loaded up when they did the, the 4K patch last week, and I forgot how to get off the horse at one point. Nah. Like, I was just like, how do I get off? And I finally figured, you know, I figured it out. I, I got back in the swing of things pretty quick. But like, yeah, that isn't it. But it's like, I like that game so much that I don't care. I, Rocket I'll League is a little bit like that for me. Yeah, Rocket League like, is a I always leave it installed on my... PS4 and like I'll jump in and just play it mm -hmm. a couple times here and there, but yeah, Call of Duty. As far as that's concerned, like yeah, I don't play it anywhere. Yeah. Well, I don't. Like I, I mean, I don't play multiplayer games like that. I just don't yeah. go back to it. I go back to the single player experiences, which is what No Man's Sky is. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah. I mean, forced at one point, but now it's, it's that's not what I'm here is to see other players, whatever, do whatever. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I go back to the experience. I go back to the world, and I can see myself doing that with Shadow of War, like just going back to play a couple of uh, you know asynchronous multiplayer invasions yeah. and here and there. Yep, um, that's the kind of thing that hooks me. Uh, but I'm never gonna like be someone who plays the same game every night. It's just I you know sometimes I have been that person because I have a group of people who are all playing the same game or getting achievements or whatever. And after about three or four nights, I just hit the point where I'm just like I don't want to no do this anymore. No mas. Like, <laughs> yeah. I get it. It's one of the reasons I don't have a huge, you know, a regular multiplayer grip anymore is because I just don't feel like I can commit to that. Yeah. Like, I don't always know what I want to play that night. Yep. 
All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about loot boxes again, but from a completely different angle. Uh, so this week, the ESRB came out, mm-hmm. Entertainment Software Ratings Board, which is the equivalent of PEGI here in uh, the United States, came out and said that it does not deem loot boxes as gambling. Matt, do you agree or disagree, and why? Of course I agree. Agree that it's not gambling? Yeah. You don't think loot boxes are gambling? They're not, by any metric. Oh, good. We have different opinions here. Because gambling is when you bet some money or something. You you bet money on a thing that has an outcome, and you either win more money or you get nothing. And with a loot box, you have put money to buy something, and you get a random assortment of things... But you always get things. You can't get nothing. So it is not gambling. Unless you want to call baseball cards also gambling. Unless you want to call capsule toy machines gambling. Unless you want to call gumball machines gambling. Like, it's not gambling. You get something for your money. Maybe it's not what you wanted. But aren't you but getting something for gambling as well? You get entertainment. It's not the same thing. How is it not the same thing? It's still valuable. Because it's an abstract thing with no set value. Like, you, you can crap out in Vegas and have no more money. You, get, you walk away with less than you had before. Like, that is not the case with these loot boxes. You, you get something. You, you know what you're getting. You are guaranteed but, to get a particular product from it. But you, the product for gambling, to me personally, I'm not a gambler per se. I go to Las Vegas a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. I play fantasy football. That's the extent of my gambling. I don't go to gamble to get something back monetarily. I look at gambling as entertainment. So whatever money I spend on gambling is for me to have fun and make memories while I play with new people I just met at the table or if me and my friends go and play. It's all about the time that I spend doing it and the memories that I've built from that. That, to me, is what I'm getting back from gambling. If I actually win any money, I'm like, damn! Well, that has nothing to do with... Which you never do. That has nothing to do with the legal definition of what gambling is. Your your good time has nothing to do with what gambling is. Like, it's how you approach it, and that's fine. It's also how I approach it. I don't care about... When, you know, if you care about winning money back from gambling, that's how you're going to get in a, in a problem. Yeah. I think. I mean, I'm no expert on addiction, but like, if I'm going to go to Vegas and play some poker, I'm going to just be like, this is the amount of money I can spend to put down on this poker game, and I'm just going to play the game. But like, the point of the, the gambling. My thing- definition of gambling is spending money not knowing what you're getting. So, baseball cards are gambling. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. That's not legally true. That's not what gambling is. Because otherwise we're letting children gamble like by buying trading cards. That's yeah, not but, what it is. But I, they I, got they got I, whatever amount of money they spent on it. They got that amount of trading cards. Maybe look, it didn't I, I've have heard the this these analogies a hundred times. This is the one that everybody uses. Well, that's because the analogy machine. is correct. Well, if you're looking at the strict legal definition of it, that wasn't the angle I was coming at with this. Like the angle I'm coming at is, do you think that this will corrupt youth? No. No. I played poker when I was eight. Did, did I get corrupted by it? That doesn't did mean, you? No. It doesn't mean anything. You're not the judge of that. But it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't mean anything? Because just, that's just moral panic shit. That doesn't mean anything. And what kid, what kid is buying loot boxes without their parents' permission? That's the parenting problem. But, right we're, but we're seeing what's happening, Matt. These people are going to these gambling skin sites, and they are taking their parents' credit card. 
and well, that's, putting down tons of money. But that's not the game. That's a separate thing people are setting up using the API. But it all starts with the loot boxes and the skins and not knowing what you're going to get and then getting it. And that's being like, not I got lucky gambling, and I got it. Though. Now I'm going to go here and sell it. That's not gambling, though, the loot box. Taking that and doing that with it, I mean, that's like saying that like getting paid for your job is gambling because you use that money to gamble with. That doesn't mean anything. To me, gambling, and not the legal term, I've never even looked at what the legal term of gambling is, but to me, gambling is gambling money, not knowing what you're going to get with the money that you are giving to someone or something. But that's, if I give That's so, a gamble, and but, that's the definition of the word gamble. But if I pay money for a loot box, I know what I'm going to get. You I'm don't, though. Of course I do. It's I'm going to get How content How did you know what guns game. he was going to get in that? I didn't, but I knew I was going to get... you didn't know. I knew, no, you're wrong. I knew I was going to get <laughs> guns out of it. You didn't that time, though. Look, you got, like, some goofy skin. But it says what you're... <laughs> dude, come on. <laughs> Fucking come on. What? You're just being obtuse for no reason I'm here. I'm not. You, if it says the thing is going to give you a legendary orc or whatever, that is what it tells it's you're going to... If you I buy a, you're getting that in a lot of games, though. It doesn't say you tell, are going to get a legendary orc, and then you get the legendary that's orc. An it says... Here, give us money. Oh, my God. It's like arguing with a Trump supporter. It's <laughs> Please, come on. Give me a little it, more credit than that. I won't because you're fucking off in crazy town on this one. Like, <laughs> if I buy a baseball card pack, I know there are baseball cards in it. Right. That's the whole thing with the loot box. That's, that's not gambling. I would argue that in some ways it is. It's not a legal... Legal definition of gambling, but you're putting it down a dollar. You could get if you were going to you define could get that a as bunch of cards of players nobody cares about. You could get all the rookies in one pack. Right. It's ran it's a randomized product, but that's not gambling. You don't win anything I, out of I it. I think it is. You're wrong. <laughs> like if you're gonna stretch the definition of gambling to include that, then it means anything. But Matt, you don't see where a kid messing around with loot boxes might later ingratiate that kid into real gambling. Because no! It, yes, because it's the same... No! It is. It, How many baseball card collectors become gambling addicts? What the fuck does example. that mean? That's an extreme example. This is your example of someone playing with loot boxes <laughs> and becoming a fucking gambling nut is also an extreme example. It's not, though. Of course because it is. Then the, show me the researcher. shut up. Look, here's... Come the, on! Here's the thing, Matt. What it, happens when you We open, might as well be on Fox and Friends at this point. Please let me talk, dude. When you open a loot box and you don't know what you're getting, when you get something that makes you really excited, that same chemical in your brain that you get when you're really gambling fires off. It's oh, the dopamine. same, whatever you want to call it, it's the same damn thing. And you get addicted yeah, because, to that. Because and that's then you start the, finding ways to get more dopamine. That's and how, how it, you do because that. Because that is this chemical that's released when you get pleasure from anything. Right. But, it's not a specific gambling But you chemical. learn when you risk something and you're saying, I'm going to put down money not knowing exactly what I'm going to get. And holy cow, if I get something good, I get a huge release of dopamine. But it's the same. And you start to associate, the human brain associates cause and effect. And so you start to draw those lines between, oh my gosh, I didn't know what I was getting. I got something good. Holy crap. You start to associate that with gambling. And then it opens your mind up to saying, well, oh my gosh, what if when I'm of age or maybe I can find a bookie who will let me bet on football? It does have a correlation, Matt. And I agree with you. Maybe the legal definition of gambling doesn't match up with loot boxes, but loot boxes can absolutely, especially young, impressionable minds who still haven't got shit figured out, it can absolutely break down that Show me wall. the science on it. Show me the research. Or I think you're just basically in the same territory as someone who's saying the playing Call of Duty trains you how to shoot people in the head for real. 
No. It's not Find the same me, thing. Show me the correlation through research that that is a thing that happens because you sound like a panicking person on an old 80s show where they thought like, sat- like Dungeons & Dragons was going to lead people into Satanism. What? You don't remember that? way out of bounds. Look, gambling, you don't remember that? Look, gambling is a real addiction, Matt. It's this, shooting people is not an addiction. Well, gambling is a, are, Gambling is a real addiction that afflicts millions and millions so of is, people. So is anything that has a dopamine rush to it. You could be saying the same thing about winning a game. No, is gambling is different. There's a reason. There's, there's not, there aren't focus. Gambling is only different because it's easy there to get that rush There aren't help groups to help people from, like, mountain biking. And the reason, like, mountain biking releases dopamine. There aren't any groups that are funded by the U.S. government yeah, to keep w- people from freaking mountain biking. But, but why there's a is- reason, because gambling is dangerous and it can ruin your life. But why is it dangerous? Why is it so addictive? Because, because it's money. You can win money from it. You can get rich from not. it. That's the temptation. Well, why is part it? Of it? Then what's different? That's the difference the is the risk. money. It's not the money. It's the risk and the reward. Yeah, but and why, there is why money is, involved But what box. is the risk and the reward? You are risking money to be rewarded by more money. No. That's the, mo- that's the, the money, risk. What you get back is almost irrelevant. It's just that sometimes you could get something back really awesome. It yeah, could that be, thing is awesome. It could be a big pay. It could be a big payout because you parlayed on uh, a betting like three football games, and that like doubles every time you win each one of those games. It could be getting an extremely rare weapon in a video game. It's all about that risk. It's taking the risk, putting money down first. The money is the first part of it. It's important. Money and gambling. Money and loot boxes, and then the mystery of not knowing. Maybe I'm going to get screwed. Maybe I'm not. Maybe tonight's my night, or maybe today's my day. Where you get, you finally put down that dollar for that loot box, or you go to that blackjack table and put down a hundred bucks and play one hand, and you hit it. You double down. You win your hand. You win a thousand dollars on one hand of blackjack, or you get that crazy legendary that you've been waiting for. You watched twenty YouTubers win and freak out over. I mean. There's a big difference. And then it's, why are, aren't Pokemon cards illegal? Because there's not as much risk there. There's not as much r- rush. It's like... Why? Sh- sure. Because the chance... If you care about... The, the only value any loot box thing has, either we're talking about digital loot boxes or real-life loot boxes like trading cards or Pokemon cards or whatever whatever you want. Pogs. Um, like, Pogs are the same way. Um, I don't any, even know what Pogs do. Oh, those, those little bottle cap things. I know what they are. I don't know how they work. It's the same as trading cards. Like sometimes they're shiny. It was it was it was lame. Alf is back in Pog form. Um, <laughs> but like no matter what, is the only value that's attached as the value that you attach to it. I mean, someone. I mean, there is just as much just as much dopamine rush out of some kid back in the day getting a Charizard out of a Pokemon card pack as there is for someone getting whatever purple gun came out of that thing. Like it's it's. It's the same deal. It's the same experience, and the, I, don't I don't know. Think it is, though. Well, you're wrong because it's the same thing. It's even it's even game related. Like, how is that any different? What is it about putting ga- putting these boxes in a video game that makes it different from any other form of the same randomized item, the blind box idea that we've been doing for so? I mean, even the fucking loot. I mean, literally, the loot crates that you subscribe to each month are like that. I think a lot of it is built around knowledge, whether you know something is rare or not. I bought baseball cards when. I was a kid when I got cards I didn't even know you don't with baseball cards in particular you don't know what cards are worth money because they don't become worth money for like in some cases decades later you got to wait till that player gets good has a hall of fame career 
And then 15 years later, finally, his rookie card is worth something. Right. Like, but you never open baseball cards and even know. And it's the, the same deal with Pokemon you know, cards. You know if you know. I mean, you know, Charizard was instantly the most valuable card in the first round. You, you of don't know that. Card. Of course it, you know When that. you open a loot box, you know immediately. Because it says right there, ultra rare, crazy rare. You'll never, yeah, no I, one will ever get it. I like, have a, but I have, legendary, I have legendary guns in Fortnite that are garbage. That doesn't, just because it's purple doesn't make it good. Just makes it rare. I'm not saying it's rare. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter whether it's actually good but in the game or not. But Charizard is rare. It's obviously rare. And Nobody the knows that. I didn't know if that. If you're buying Pokemon cards, you know that. Like, you can't just discount the knowledge no. of someone. Let's talk about a kid who's never bought a Pokemon pack in his life, and he gets a pack of cards. Do you think he has any idea whether those cards are worth anything? Yes. No, he doesn't. If he's, if no, he's he interested in the game. Now, okay, look, we're, this is that. If you are going to deny that people who bought Pokemon trading cards for the trading card game knew that the best character in the game was Charizard, like, I don't know what to tell Matt, you. Matt, I still don't know that. You don't play Pokemon! There's tons of people. But what if I went and bought my first pack of cards? I'd have no clue. Well, who cares what the fucking, what the fucking loot it's box a thing is? It's total false equivalency. No, Matt. it's not. It because is. It totally well, is. No one knows what these guns or whatever you're getting out of these pockets. It says right there, ultra rare. Who fucking cares? The kids there care. Are, there are tons of other g cards in the Pokemon packs that are as rare as Charizard, but they're not as good as Charizard. Nobody knows. You know if you're playing that game, and there's no reason to buy that pack if you're not playing the game. And I would argue that if a kid is really into Pokemon, that eventually buying those cards does turn into a little bit of gambling. Once they understand exactly what is rare and what isn't, it is kind of gambling. But that's not gambling. <laughs> you're trying to get a blind bag thing. That's not the same thing as gambling. To me, it is. And I'm someone who does gamble, and I know the way loot boxes work. I get the same charge when I'm watching. It's just like watching a slot machine at the casino. It's even, they even display it just like a slot machine. The things go up and down and doing, doing, doing. I mean, it's blatantly obvious what's going on here. I can't believe you can't see it. I see what you're saying. I just think you're wrong. Well, because it's not well, the same thing. I was hoping thing. at least at the end of the discussion, you would apologize for calling me a Acting, saying I was acting like a Trump supporter. I, I would think, hope, I think, at least at this point, you can understand where I'm coming from a little bit. I don't understand where you're coming from. I just see where your logic is, but I also see where your flaw in your logic is. Well, I think you have flawed logic. You're hanging on a, a definition by the law of what gambling is. I'm looking at no, gambling as somebody I, who does it and knows how it makes you feel. You and I, I can, don't know what gambling is that I've never gambled? Of course I've I'm gambled. I'm not saying I you never have, but I will say... I also say, know what dopamine I, is. I know I've what done it a lot more than you have. I and I've care. also been friends with people who have become addicted to gambling and have literally ruined their lives gambling. And I've sat and watched them crap out. And that's the same thing these kids do once they get a hold of their parents' credit card and jam it in there and buy 100 loot boxes and sit there and wait to hit their ultra rare. It's I the same damn thing. Well, see, you need to show me some of these kids that do that beyond like edge cases because you're talking about people that you know that have been in actually gamble addiction problems. That's a widespread thing. It is. Where's the loot box addiction center? Well, I have a, that's the, why we're talking about this, because someday there may be one. And that's why they're trying to head it off at the pass. Like, Well, no, they're not, because the SRB just said it's not gambling. Right, which I think is a bunch of bull crap. And what, one thing I would say is, like, as long as they keep this what do you in, in M-rated games, then? keep. Well, I'm just going to tell you what I think they should do. I think that they need to make sure that they keep these loot box things in M-rated games, so that adults are the only people consuming this. Having a five-year-old kid sitting there watching, essentially a slot machine roll hoping that he gets something to me that is bad like 
That is corrupting children. I don't, I don't care what you say. It's bad for kids well, see, to that's be why I made the, like That's that. why I made the Trump supporter comparison there. Because when you say that, you are in a strange moral panic zone where you, you don't get to decide what corruption means. Okay, so you're saying five-year-old kids should watch porn or watch snuff films? I'm not allowed to say that? Where do you draw the line there? Say it about your own kid. Oh, come on, man. You're, now you're out of bounds. No, I'm not. You're saying, so you're basically saying... And if, like, you're, if you're really going to try to compare opening a loot box in Fortnite to porn with a five-year-old, like, you're in crazy No, town you're now. the one that just made that comparison. No, I'm not. Oh, my. I'm, I'm ending this conversation corrupt, corrupt, right now. That's not what corruption That's means. That's it. Wow. God forbid a child like <laughs> be exposed to porn, sure. But like that's not the same thing as opening a box of fake guns in video games. I did, I'm not the one that made that comparison. Yes, you are. You were saying I can't tell somebody else's kids what is wrong for their kids. And I'm telling right. you right now, I can tell you that it is wrong for your kids to watch porn and it is wrong for your kids to watch snuff films. That's all I said. A, you tried to say, I can't tell someone what... what a, can, snuff films don't exist. Okay, you're going to watch this again, and you're going to realize this whole little loop right here. No, I'm that not. That you're completely out of bounds. No, I never not. said that. You brought up porn and snuff films to try to defend your ridiculous point. That was not what I was defending, Matt. You tried to tell me that I have no right to decide what is bad for kids. And I told... And then I you said... You can have an opinion on it. And then I... But you're saying that corrupted? Let me finish. And then I said, oh, you're telling me that I cannot tell you right now that watching porn and snuff films is bad for kids. You're saying, I can't say that. That's you, all I said. You can say it, I but did not make the comparison. I don't know you how, can, where you went, why you, you went can, there. You went, th you brought up porn and snuff films. Corruption of children related to video game no. loot boxes The is reason not I brought that up is because that. you tried to tell me that I cannot say what corrupts kids or someone else's kids. Because I, you cannot make that moral distinction for another parent. Yes, I absolutely can. Well, you can in your own opinion, sure, but you can't dictate that any more than the ESRB can decide what corruption means in that regard. Well, I don't understand also, why you're so upset over this. Because that's like, not... As soon as we started because, talking about this, you lost your shit. Because, like, right out of the gate, because you just the, flipped out. Because the, See, now you're going to an emotional argument because I'm you not. think that's a way to come at me like that, but you're wrong because <laughs> one of the reasons I think this is so annoying about this this angle on loot boxes being gambling is it's never going to look because I think we can establish that I don't I'm also not a fan of loot boxes right <laughs> doesn't see that way see that's where you fail on this I'm not failing because at all you, I'm trying to have see, a conversation see, with you about something you like lost your shit in the first sentence no you did see, you're no. gonna watch this again you're gonna see it no like okay. it's, I, my, I did lose my shit I'll admit that but like immediately, not immediately, because you, you're gonna went, watch you went around it. on the on you went tape. No, it's not. <laughs> it you is on tape. It's on the hard drive right there. That's not tape. You went around on. Eh, no, I guess a hard drive is actually tape, isn't it? Um, fake news. Fake news. <laughs> fake news. Why are you so upset about this? I don't well, get it. Be, well, a because illogic pisses me off, and it's I, not illogical it is. though. But but it's not. but further, if I'm really going to get down to like what the the reason the whole thing about how loot boxes being gambling annoys me so much, it's because I don't like loot boxes much either. I don't buy them. I don't even, usually, say, I don't even say I don't like, like them. I just don't like kids experiencing. See, I don't them. care about that. That's that's. I think that's a false <laughs> equivalence. And the reason I don't like it is because I would like to see the loot box thing at least be curtailed. If not ban, I mean, I don't know about banned because, like, I know people hate them enough to ban them. I just think only just, adults should be. I just don't I, with them. I think for the most part they are. Um, unless, although, again, it, and this is a side thing, this kind of distribution of of you know digital stuff 
has been part of mobile games that children play for years. The ship is the the the, the horse is out of the barn on that I one. Mean, look, the and topic seeing, was the ESRB saying it's not the thing, gambling, I'm and the reason to, they're doing that is well, because they want they don't want to put the publishers in a place where they have to do this. They right. have to put loot boxes only in M-rated games. Well, see, the, and, and I'm getting to, to why the ESRB doing this. I think is uh, is part of the issue here, and that's because you're never going to legally get loot boxes defined as gambling. And if you can't do that, you make the arguments against loot boxes very easily dismissible from, from a, not necessarily from a court of law, but from sort of the court of, of opinion. It's like, well, if they're not gambling, who cares? Like, that's your whole argument, right? It's like, not your whole argument, but like kind of the theoretical argument is like, well, they're gambling, so we shouldn't have them because they can lead into addiction and they can lead into children that like get, get, uh, you know, get accustomed to these things. All the things that you're saying is a danger of something that is actually gambling. But you're never going to win that fight with the courts because the law doesn't say, basically, you rules that out. Otherwise, I never said that would happen. I right, but what I'm, I'm, explain, I'm explaining to you why your course of action, course of like angle on this is annoying to me as someone who would like to see loot boxes curtailed because it's going to make it so easily dismissible in court that you're never going to be able to fight that battle a different way again. And that is the wrong way to approach it to me. Well, my even approach you, on this Even if you it... believe it is gambling... That's not the way you win that fight. My approach on this isn't that it should ever go to court. My approach is that the ESRB should act like an adult and take the role that it's supposed to have in the industry, which is ultimately to protect younger players. See, and instead of worrying about semantics like the ESRB, and to a lesser extent you have been, just do what's right. There's no reason these kids should be exposed to this type of activity. It but just they not. already are. It plants the seed in their brains. But they don't... It's different, Mobile, though. It, but it's, the kids being exposed to this sort of distribution... I don't know what do you want to call it. Like, distribution of goods in games... This has been part of mobile gaming for years, and the kids are exposed to it through that, not through like. But that doesn't make it right because they, it doesn't because but what mobile I'm saying, games got to them first. But what I'm saying is like you're talking about ESRB ratings on like games like Shadow of War or or uh, Fortnite or whatever. But like that's not where the kids are contacting this. They're contacting it in like these weird little like you know games where you have to buy extra energy for shit and things like that. You know, like, that's where it comes from. And if you're going to regulate that, I mean, you're, now you're talking about bringing an Apple, you're talking about bringing in all this other stuff. And, like, that battle is, to me, that battle is over. The question is, it's, it's too late. It's, it's not over. too late, though, because there are young kids you being can't... born every day. And if you, st it's just like the whole thing on guns. They're like, well, we can't ban guns because there's already so many out there. But that's a completely flawed argument because you have to start somewhere. So we, we ban assault rifles now. Sure. The next 30 years, there's going to be assault rifles out there. Eventually they break. Eventually they get lost. 30 years from now, we get to a place where there are less assault rifles. And you can't just say because things have been going on forever that you just give up. And so, sure, this generation of kids, they've all been exposed to it. There's nothing we can do about it. The, the seed's already planted. But you got to start somewhere so that that kid that's born today... Five years from now, he doesn't get exposed to this stuff until he's an adult where he can kind of process things and he can make decisions as an adult. That's what I'm saying. Like, you have well, to I start think, somewhere. And I feel like the well, ESRB... I think that starts in the home. It starts it, with no, the you're right. Absolutely. That's a big part of it, being raised right. But the, you can't, the ESRB is being the enabler and making the parent's job more difficult than well, it needs to be. Here's what I think the ESRB is doing here. And I think you may see... I think we, this is not the last we've heard of this. I don't think this is going to be the oh, ESRB's final thing. Because what I think is, I think the ESRB thinks, and I don't have any proof of this because I don't know anybody in the ESRB, what I think is happening here 
is they think if they do say it's gambling, say they could, because even if it, it's not legally oh, gambling. Oh, it was a Pandora's box. But, well, right, because then all of a sudden lawmakers have to look at them. And the thing that ESRB yeah. wants to avoid more than anything else ever, and it's, in, you know, and it's the whole existence owes itself to this, is not having government oversight of the game industry. I totally get why the ESRB is doing it. It's for that, it's for money, it's... And look... There's e a million reasons why. I just think it's wrong. <laughs> I don't think... See, I don't think right and wrong is something you can determine in, in that way, uh, especially at an, on an organizational level that size. I guess I'm kind of turning into a libertarian here. But, like, um, that's not the ESRB's problem. Like, if... like. It's the parent's problem. And I don't like to like put everything on the parent like that, but it's like, you don't want your kid playing with loot boxes? Don't let them play with loot boxes, you yeah. know? But and I like, think the parents, it's the parents rely on the ESRB to let them know whether their kids should be playing with the games. That's an interesting question. I wonder how many parents really do look at I that. I mean, if I had a kid, I would, and I wasn't yeah, into games. Yeah, you know a lot more about games. It's just than... like movie ratings. People, parents look at movie ratings, and it's like, you can't... You can't go watch every movie your kid wants to watch. You can't play every game your kid wants to play. Mm -hmm. That's why these organizations are in place to help parents. It's not completely absolving parents of all the responsibility in parenting, but it is giving them at least a guidepost so that they know what they're getting into. And the, the fact that, in my opinion, something that very closely resembles gambling is being sort of force-fed into our kids and given to our kids, I think that's bad. And I think... It's the ESRB's responsibility, and frankly, the reason why it even exists to step in and do something. And instead of doing that, it's doing exactly what you're talking about. It's worried more about getting into litigation with the government. It's worried more about the lost revenues of, of, that, of that possibly taking away what has tripled the revenue of the entire industry. And I just feel like the ESRB... Did they do a breakdown on that, like for the games of service thing? Like how much of that is like random, random content boxes and how much of it is just like buying new maps and buying new stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, the report is pretty extensive. Uh, I probably should have brought in more data than I have, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, but the story is curated on Sifted if you want to find it. But, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, the story is actually really good, and the, the reporting company does kind of really go granular and kind of look at different types of DLC and, uh, and loot boxes and how that all works and uh, how it's generated more revenue and why. So it's a really good story, which is why I put it on here. Um, it just rubbed me the wrong way. That to me, the ESRB is supposed to be like the, the protector, the cop, the police of the games industry. And again, not to absolve parents of their responsibility. And I agree a million percent that too many parents in our society rely on pop culture entertainment to be the babysitter of their kids. And they're just lazy parents. I agree with that a million percent. But there are responsible parents out there, too, who do rely on... Things like movie ratings and game ratings to at least give them a rough idea of whether their kids should be messing around with stuff. And to me, the ESRB in this case is dropping the ball and letting parents down and society down in my opinion. Well, I think you've got, that's kind of an idealized uh, uh, view of the ESRB because as far as I can tell, the ESRB exists to protect the corporate interests of the game industry from legislation they can't control. That's the ESA. That's what the ESA is supposed to do. Well, the ESA is a, is a lobby group for that. But right. I think the ESRB is more interested in protecting the industry from the government than it is from protecting that's why it was originally formed exactly why it was originally formed because it was basically a make good from the games mm -hmm. industry to get the politicians off their backs but once that happened the esa kind of took up the lobbying efforts and actually goes to congress and mm. sits in and tries to lobby for I mean, specific legislation i just don't think the esrb has children's interests in mind they don't. You know That's I mean? my point. Right. Like, I but I don't think. That, I mean, out. I don't think it's just with loot boxes. I think it's like you know, there's kind of a grudging 
sense in of general, like, well, no, the, I mean, look, oh, my, all right, we'll tell you. All like, my yeah. experiences with the ESRB in 20 years in this industry have been them calling me at game trailers literally every week and saying, hey, you got the wrong rating on this game. You forgot the descriptors on 20 games. Like, that is my sole interaction with the ESRB in 20 years in this industry. They've, to me, they've done nothing constructive other than harass gaming websites and tried to and created this weird ASRB council. They're like, hey, here's this logo you can put on your webpage. Yeah, that's going to bring in the traffic. Like, mm. the organization in general is pretty much delusional well, and mean, serves very little purpose except for this. This is one thing that it can do that it can help, and it, it's not doing it. It basically just passed the buck on this, and that's why Well, we'll continue it to pass the buck until something basically forces them to act, just like every other kind of self-watchdog organization. I mean, the MPAA is the same way. And it may be in some ways, maybe it's good if the government does come in and say, hey, what the hell? Like, maybe the ESRB needs a wake-up call at this point. I don't know. No, but, I mean, I think if you... to 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 For what you want to happen to happen, I think the government is going to have to be, kind of be like, hey, what's this? I mean, can yeah. you agree that it's not good that five- and six-year-old kids are messing around with loot boxes? Can you at I mean, least give me that? I mean, I don't think they are that much. But you you brought it up, that they're getting exposed to this stuff when they're younger, that it's not like an M-rated game. Well, see, the, what I'm describing is, like, at least the kids I know, I don't I mean, obviously not every kid, because I, get, I, get, I probably know good parents, more or less. But, you know, the kids play games that, in, that involve mostly on their phones, that involve loot boxes sometimes, and they get like an it's like an allowance. They're like, okay, I, okay, you can use this these crystals, or we'll go buy you this many crystals, and you use them on on the loot boxes and or whatever in here if you want, and that's it for the week. That's you know that's kind of the it's like uh, you know an allow, an allowance for digital for gambling content. <laughs> um, Here's your gambling allowance for the week. But I I see. I mean. I used to use my allowance on, uh, or not allowance, but I would save the money. I, would, I spent all my money one week that I'd save for two weeks on garbage pail kids. Yeah. Back in the day, was that a gambling addiction? No, but I was like caught up in the fad of it. But I didn't was... you feel like that same kind of rush though? You have your collection and you're missing like one of them, and you got your allowance or whatever, and you're going to that capsule machine hoping to get that one that you don't have, and so you put it in there, you crank it, you wait for it to come down, and you're like. You open the door, ah, oh, and then finally you get that one that you're missing. That feeling of when you get that one that you haven't got yet, that is the same thing you get when you gamble. It's the same thing you get when, you, when you're working with loot not, boxes. That's just not the, thr the thrill of gambling when I win in gambling is because I got money. I don't look at it that way at all. Well, I think that is the difference for them. I mean, that's, I think that's the reason people have like, you know, why it's illegal to, to do that here. I think people who are addicted not... to gambling look at it that way. You mean, wait, what way? Like, I'm not a, a, I don't have an addiction problem with gambling. So I look at gambling as just entertainment. Right. I spend money, I have fun, all good. Just like going to a club right. or going to a movie or whatever. The people who are addicted to gambling, the people who are literally drain their bank accounts in Vegas when they go one time a year or whatever, mm. those people do care about the money. Well, yeah, exactly. That's where, that's where, that's the reward is you might get rich. You know, that's why people sit there and pull that damn, well, I guess you don't pull the lever anymore, just do you? Just push a button. Just push yeah. the damn button. And they don't even... It doesn't even pay out coins anymore. I'll Just tell you, a ticket. See, and again, like the money thing is, is I guess, important. I'm, I don't think I'm a gambling addict because I barely ever do it. But like one of the coolest things when the first time I went to Vegas, and this is showing our age a little bit, one of the coolest things is if you do get a payout from those slot machines, it spits all those yeah. coins. That makes that sound. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then well, like, it still makes a sound. It makes now. a sound, but you don't get, you <laughs> just get a coupon. It's just you know, a, recording it still plays a recording of the sound. Of the sound yeah. Right. But like, 
yeah, so like you know, for me, for me, it was always the the promise of money. It's why you sit there at that, you know, you don't let you don't leave that that slot machine because it's gonna pay out any second now. You know, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. If I double down on a blackjack can and I win it, like it feels good. You're like, right. holy crap! But it's not like I but sit that, there and I'm like, oh, I just won forty eight dollars and twenty one cents. It's like I just won. Right. That's that, all that matters. But that's the distinction between gambling and you know blind box stuff that's at least legally and at least between as far as like kind of enforcement of where it's legal and where it's not is the idea that you know maybe that rare garbage pail kid that you needed to complete your collection is worth a lot to you but everybody can agree that that 40 bucks is worth 40 bucks yeah. you know like that's the difference is that money is money but see I, that's that's kind of goes against the whole discussion that i wanted to have though which is it's not about the money it's about that feeling that you get and how that feeling becomes addictive right. and you start trying to get it in other ways in your life besides just getting a loot box sure but that can come from a start in a lot of places other than a loot box it can but that doesn't mean that the loot boxes are okay because of that it's just weird to me that all of a sudden we need to step in and do something about this as opposed to like, I mean, kids have been buying blind box items for, for decades and it's never been some kind of like moral panic question. Why is this different? And why do I feel like this Well, is... now we're just going in circles. We're right, but, the same but why does it... But I'm, I'm saying like, why does this loot box discussion being focused on children, not just you, because this comes from a lot of different angles of people that argue against loot boxes. Why does it feel more like they're arguing that they can't control themselves and they're just worried about children being as bad about it as they are? Obviously, you're not talking about me. Not I've never spent you, a no. dime on a loot box in my but life. But you see things like Jim Sterling's argument where like he doesn't care if the loot boxes in Shadow of War are not... Uh, you know, are are not required to finish the game. He knows they're there, and he's got an addictive personality. Yeah, going I agree to with buy you there. It. I don't understand that argument at all. <laughs> it's like I have no self control, so you suck. Right. It's just like saying, but, why do casinos exist? Now I have to go in and blow my whole paycheck. <laughs> I mean, it's the same yeah. con- same thing. Yeah, that is pretty much the it's, same. It's thing. a garbage. I mean, that argument makes but no sense. But if you're so. an addict. You know, like, I don't know. Well, you look for, you're desperate. You're trying to find any reason to blame but yourself. Right. You're trying to find any scapegoat except for it saying, it's my fault, I'm an addict, I have a problem, I can't say no. You're trying to blame it on anyone or anything else. Like the ESRB. I guess. Like, if ESRB had only marked loot boxes in their M ratings, I wouldn't be a gambling addict today? Like, is that the path? I don't think I understand that, uh... Like do you like that like the ES blaming the ESRB for not trying to control loot boxes because loot boxes could lead to gambling addiction just seems like the same kind of scapegoating to me, and maybe there's they're I, the only gatekeeper that we've got they're the only protection we've well, got my in this ar- because my argument well, no the gatekeeper is the parents in that regard we already we already talked about this right I already said but, parents most responsibility but some parents need to rely at least a little bit on those organizations for help. Mm. Like, I think you should know what your kids are playing and what's in them one way or so the other. So if you ever have kids, are you before you let them play any game or watch any movie, are you going to play the entire game and watch the entire movie before you let them play or watch? For the most part, yes. I mean... You'll have already seen them all. <laughs> well, yeah, too. you already seen them all. At the very least, when they play a new game, I would stand there and watch and see what's in it. You're not going to stand here the whole time, though. Not they're the... playing some corny yeah, but 3D there... platformer or whatever. Yeah, but if there's a loot box mechanic in it, it's going to present itself soon enough. And how would you feel if there was a loot box mechanic in that game? Well, as long as they don't have access to my credit card, <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with it, because they have to come to me to get any of it. <laughs> Unless you can buy it with in-game currency, like you can in a lot of them. Yeah. Which is fine. Uh, so would you like to see, at the very least, the ESRB put, like, loot boxes in the description? Or should there be, like, a like a... 
a like a icon on the front of the box or something? Or does I that honestly even, just think loot boxes should only that, be in, yeah, in but, at least at least at the bottom line T rated games. Like to me, loot boxes should never be in E or E ten games. I don't, even T I don't, is pushing it a little bit. I don't bit for think me, you're but. losing much by by saying that. Like that seems like I mean, kids don't have that kind of money to spend anyway, right? Well, unless their parents unless their parents are doing it yeah. for them, right? Yeah, ideally. But then um, those parents would probably buy them an M-rated game anyway. They're the parents who let kids, like their five-year-olds, play Grand Theft Auto. So we got to move on. I think we spent too much time on that. Sam is like, please. <laughs> uh, last topic of this week's show, The Evil Within 2. Uh, I put up a Sifted Hangout yesterday showing the first... Well, I, I started recording that about three hours in, and I played about an hour. So you guys kind of saw hours three through four of the game if you watched it on the site. Uh, I continued on well past that. I'm about seven or eight hours into the game now. Um, full disclosure, I only played the first one for probably four or five hours, I'm guessing, something like that. I was not a fan of the first game. I never played it. And like, I was warned off of it by my horror fan friends. And, and I'm somebody who says Resident Evil 4 is one of the best games ever made. Still to this mm. day, I say that. Um, I would agree with that. Despite all the other games that have come after it. Uh, this game plays exactly like Resident Evil 4, and the last one did pretty much too. Uh, but it doesn't have the same kind of special sauce that RE4 did. And it's not just because of the characters that I was endeared to or anything like that, or the IP or anything like that. It just doesn't have that... I don't even know how to describe it. There was just something about Resident Evil 4. The characters, the plot, the way it was all set up, the Ganados. Um, it was also kind of a revolution in at how, that to, time present, it how was, to present right. At that, that time, kind of it was completely groundbreaking. And now here we are. I mean, what year was RE4 released, even? Uh, 2005? So here we are. Yeah, January 2005. Yeah. So here we are 12 years later. And uh, Mikami is still making the same game, essentially. And I will say, like... It does kind of ping that, again, ping that little thing in your brain, that nostalgia gene or whatever the hell it is, that kind of takes you back to this warm, comfortable place. It's almost like a warm blanket that, like, wraps around you. And then they rip it off of you and, and uh, toss a bucket of blood on you. But but uh, it feels old and dated in a lot of ways. Um, but the one thing I will say is, you know, the, the phrase survival horror is thrown around a lot these days. And... Really, a lot of games that, that try to use that moniker aren't really about surviving. This game is 100% about surviving. It is a very challenging mm. game. Um, and a lot of those, that even if they are about surviving, are not about... Because survival horror, to me, in its classic sense, involves a very heavy kind of inventory resource management angle. That's exactly what this game is. Like, every... Literally... You know, people always say every bullet counts. In this game, literally, mm. every bullet counts. When you go to craft in this game... You'll use, like, three gunpowders to create one bullet. <laughs> one bullet. The first time I crafted, I was like, oh, I must have made, like, five or ten. I go back out to the game, I look at my weapon, I had crafted one handgun bullet. So, Man. Oh, yeah. It's, I got a little better at that. Oh, it's... it's That's the way this game is, though. Like, every bullet counts in this game. It doesn't take that much gunpowder to make a bullet. Oh, it's insane. He's like, just pouring it everywhere over the bench. You can't I almost thought that it was like a glitch at first, and then mm. I kept doing it. I was like, nope, that's just the way the game is. Is so, there a way to improve your crafting, like, Yeah, I mean, there's like a skill, there's a skill tree in the game that you can pretty much buff out, like, everything. Uh, that is obviously one way that it varies a little bit from the older survival horror games. It does have some modern tropes to it, and it is 
kind of an open world game. It's like you get zapped into the world and then you have this huge, huge open terrain with lots of buildings and stuff that you can go into. Um, so it feels a lot more open than sort of the linear RE games from the early days and RE4 for that matter. Um, but everything else is the same. The controls are the same. They aren't really tank controls, but they kind of feel like it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a quick turnaround like there is in the old right. RE games. Uh, and, the, and I will say that the movement in the game does feel a little slow and clunky in a lot of cases. Um, because you don't get a lot of ammo, you really have to be careful with your shots. Like, there are some times in this game where if an enemy just runs at me and I see another one coming, I just give up. I literally just put the controller down <laughs> and just let him kill me and just wait to reload. Because stealth is another really important element in this game. And the stealth system in the game, it's not like you would expect. Like, you can basically crouch, and that's it. You can't, when you crouch behind an object, you never lock onto the object. So you get put in these weird positions where you're like trying to see an enemy that's around the corner, but you can't really see the enemy without actually rounding the corner and making yourself mm. visible to the enemy. Um, so it relies a lot on stealth, but it doesn't actually give you the mechanics to kind of make good with it. But Man, that's annoying. It is. It is. But the trade-off for that is the tension in the game is ratcheted up like a hundred times. Like... I'll be scared, and they, there's some other name that they use for them, but really the enemies in this, they're freaking zombies. So I'm just going to call them zombies. But there are times where just like one zombie puts you on edge. Because literally, if they get a hold of you and like bite your neck and then hit you with like one melee attack, you die. And you have to start over. And, and the, the checkpoints in the game are pretty generous. Um, usually if it's like a major fight, like they'll just spawn you right back where you were before. Uh, I think a lot of times they spawn you right where you picked up your last item. In a lot of cases. So you never have to backtrack a lot. Um, and there is a save system in this. They kind of use a typewriter system. Mm. Um, but it also auto-saves. I think it's more for just like vanity and for fan's sake more than anything else. Yeah, sometimes you want a hard save. Yeah, it, I guess. Um, it just To me, it just seems like more of a nod to, yeah, I'm the guy who created Resident Evil. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, but I will say, I still do sure. hard save. <laughs> I mean, I... I still do well, it. making it a typewriter, yeah. It's not a typewriter, though. No. no. I'm just saying there's like these... It's just like a... Oh, it's just the same mechanic. Thing. It's just the same mechanic. And limited... Is it limited? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, again... You remember that? Because that was part of the survival horror thing. Was was. You had the ink ribbons, and if you ran out of that, you couldn't save anymore. Yeah, you don't need the ink ribbons or anything like that. That's why I'm saying it's really just kind of a right. nod to like say, Hey, I'm Mikami, and I made all these games that you like. Um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of people in reviews railing on the story in this game. Um... I'm not that... I mean, I'm seven, eight hours in. I don't know how long the game is. But I don't find the story to be terrible. Um, I mean, you stack it up against other Mikami games, and it's pretty much right on par. Uh, it, it's basically a continuation of the first one. You play a Sebastian, who used to be a cop. After the first game, they all think he's crazy, so they kick him off the force. He turns into an alcoholic again. I guess that means falling off the wagon or whatever. And his former partner comes and says, Hey! How you doing? He's like, oh, not so good. You know, my daughter's dead. My wife's dead. And she's like, oh, your daughter's actually not dead. <laughs> There's this corporation who has your daughter, and your daughter has special powers, and they're using her to power what is essentially the Animus. This game just basically rips off Assassin's Creed. Um, and so... It's if funny you... how that series has resonated in Japan so much. It is, yeah. I just watched the Assassin's Creed movie the other day. Not as bad as I thought it was going to be, mm. but still terrible. Surprisingly little stuff in the past. There's so many incontinuities in that. Where, like, yeah. someone gets stabbed, and then 
they they cut to the next shot and he's not stabbed just stuff like that all the way through it there was a i think that movie went through a lot of uh last minute shuffling probably reshoots i don't know but anyway um so I don't think the story in this is all that terrible. I mean, maybe something happens at the end that makes it all seem completely hokey or pointless or whatever. But, uh, and essentially what you do is they're using your daughter to power this virtual world to create this small town. And you have to go into the small town to try to rescue your daughter. And it turns into this. So while... you're in a virtual world? Yes. Okay. You're in the Animus, essentially. Right. It's this world that's fabricated from people's minds. So that's what with all the fading in and out stuff that was from the trailers at E3 yep. and all that. Yep, that's what it was. Um, and so you go into this fake world to try to save your daughter, and it turns into this wild goose chase where there's this essentially a serial killer who is who has taken your daughter, and you're tr you're following him, tracking him, trying to find him so you can save your daughter. And then, I mean, I guess the story is kind of dumb because it's like, well, is the daughter real? <laughs> like, can you take the real person out of this fake world, even though mm. she's not using the machine that you're using? I, I don't know. It's good enough for a game like this, is what I'm saying. But a lot of people are literally saying, like, don't buy the game because of the story, and I would not agree with that. Um, game is gory as all get out. I mean, uh, hopefully we'll see some clips here. Like, eventually I died well, yeah, in one of these. You can see that there already. Well, wait. Yeah, here's a, actually perfect timing. Right here we go. So I'll just pause and let you guys watch this. <laughs> perfect timing on the clip there. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, that's some classic... Uh... Resident Evil it 4, is. too. I mean, yep. like Leon died some pretty terrible ways. Yep, and they, I'm sure there will be, probably by Monday, there will be compilations of mm. death scenes from this game. And they are good, and they are gruesome, and you can definitely see kind of Mikami's influence coming in through there. Uh, there's lots of item collecting, just like RE. There's lots of crafting and loot stuff. You, have to, you can craft health, you can craft bullets, you can improve your weapons. Um, your cro you have a crossbow, and you can... Create different bolts for that. Like you have electric bolts, and like you can use that with water to sort of expand on its capabilities and inflict more damage on enemies. Like there's one boss that I fight. I found like a hydrant that I opened up, and then I ran into a boss. I'm like, oh well, I have this electric bolt. I'm going to lure the boss back to this water, and as soon as he steps in the water, I'm going to shoot the electric bolt into the water, and I did, and it worked beautifully. So that is another part of this game that I really love is that if you experiment with kind of the the tools that the game gives you it gives you that latitude to kind of use the elements and other parts of the game world to be better at the game um, or a game where things make sense yeah That's a little bit crazy yeah and I mean so it rewards you for experimenting and trying different things which I like it's not like a rigid like linear game like you maybe mm. would expect from uh, something like this so and here you can see literally sure. A wild goose chase after your daughter. <laughs> so, if, so with all the open stuff, um, do you feel that that has trouble balancing against uh, the limited resources at all? Yes, it's the game is hard, man. Like, I've died. Like, I didn't die for the the pacing in the game is not great because I literally didn't even come close to dying for the first three hours, and then like a switch just flipped, and essentially the switch flipped when I got into the open world mm -hmm. because the zombies are like everywhere and literally. It's impossible to kill more than, like, two at a time. You just can't. Like, the aim is too slow. It's, it takes too long to reload your weapons when you first start out and you haven't leveled up yet. Um, and, like, if one or two guys come after you, like, you're just dead. It's like I said. Like, as soon as they started running at me, I just put the controller down. But eventually, you get to a place where you can increase, like, your stamina. You have a stamina meter in the game. So if you run too much or you try to use too many melee attacks, you're basically just left completely incapacitated. But eventually you get to a place where your stamina is boosted up enough that you can run away from enemies. And then it gets kind of comical because 
the way the enemies are, they'll run and they'll get right up to you, but they have to stop to swing. So when they do that, you keep running and they never hit you. So it turns into this weird thing. Sometimes I will spin around and look behind me and there's like five zombies <laughs> all running after me. And, it's, and then they stop to attack and that gives you enough time to get it far enough away that their attacks don't land. Mm. And so once I discovered that, like I started cheesing the game a little bit. Because there's also, the way the enemies are set up, they, ha they patrol areas. And if you get outside of the area, they just quit. They just give up and walk back. And then there's the whole, just find a door to go into. You know, if they're chasing you, go in a building, chase over. So there are ways to kind of cheese the game. And, and because the game is so difficult, you have to kind of use the cheese to get through the game. Mm -hmm. At least I've had to. Um, the damage the guns do, like the handgun when you first use it, it takes like two headshots to kill every enemy or like five shots to the body. Um, the aiming I thought was a little squirrely. It took me a long time to kind of get a handle on the manual aiming. So much so that I eventually went into the menus and turned on the aim assist. I started with it off, went back and turned it on after a while because I just got frustrated with trying to land shots. I just didn't feel like I was good at, with aiming. So, um, all, despite all this and with all this said, I'm enjoying the game. I've had a really good time with it. It seems like the game is massive. I'm seven hours into it. And I have really just started to scratch the surface on, like, upgrading my character and all my weapons and everything. It is a big, big game. Um, and in all honesty, it's probably the closest thing you're going to get to Resident Evil. Uh, we both played Resident Evil 7. Great game. Scary game. Mm. But wasn't really so much a Resident Evil game. This is really it. No surprise, the guy who created the franchise would be the one who kind of continued How on with that design. How would you compare the story in this to the story in Resident Evil 7? Uh, well, the story in Resident Evil 7 was really good for the first, like, five hours. But then it just fell apart at the end, so... Obviously very different things. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean... This is a lot more sci-fi going on. It is. I would say this is a little more corny and hokey. Mm. Um, also kind of a Mikami trademark. It is, yeah. And, I mean... Resident Evil 7 kind of got there eventually. Mm. Like, have you finished set Resident Evil 7? No, but I, well, not everybody who watched might, might have finished it either. Yeah, well, the last, I'm not going to spoil plot details, but the last couple hours, it kind of goes <clears throat> towards camp territory a little bit. Mm. This one's just kind of there the whole time. Um, which, again, Mikami, not that big of a surprise. But, yeah, you're right. It is a lot more sci-fi, but it's still just as gory uh, as most Resident Evil games. So it's not like it skimps on that. And the creature designs are great. They're scary. Uh, the sound design for the creatures is awesome. Um, hearing creature sounds scares the crap out of you. Like, you think you're safe and you hear just, like, this really low... And you're like, oh, no, like, where is he? Because literally, like, one enemy can kill you. So you're paranoid of, like, getting caught in a place where you get, like, caught in a corner or something like that with an enemy because it's really hard to get away from them. And the movement's kind of slow and clunky. And it's one of those games where... The control limitations make you really nervous, and it helps build build tension. Uh, I think it's up to you to decide whether that's good or not. I think mm -hmm. every person's different on whether they think that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that is some, something I definitely feel while playing this game. Uh, the open world, it definitely adds the tension, adds the scares to it. Um, it's not like you can just clear out an area and be like, okay, I'm good, everything behind me is safe, and everything in front of me is danger. Uh, the game doesn't work that way at all. Sometimes you'll go and pick up items on the ground and there'll be a zombie underneath a car that'll just grab you and like bite your leg and drag you down and kill you instantly. Uh, so it always keeps you on your toes and keeps you wondering. Here you're seeing the communicator, which is this little like walkie-talkie. And basically what it does is it picks up signals from other people 
and then it tells you where to go. And then once you kind of lock into those signals, it'll put a waypoint on your map um, and kind of tell you what, what's there and why you need to go there. Uh, there's a great map system. You can set waypoints. Uh, so you're never kind of wandering around wondering where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to do. Um, there's distraction. You can see I just tried to use mm. a bottle right there to get the zombies to uh, move out um, so I can get in behind them. There are insta-kills, stealth kills, but in the early killing, they're really hard to do because you literally, you can see how slow you move. So I'm trying to do a stealth kill here. <laughs> and eventually oh, I nice, give up, yeah. see what happened. And eventually I'm like, I'm not going to make it in time. And then he turns around and then I run away. Like this, this is the game in a nutshell right here, at least in the early going. I'm sure eventually your crawl, you can boost up your crawl and it goes faster and stuff like that. So, hey, if you're looking for a great horror game to play over Friday the 13th or for Halloween, which is coming up very quickly, uh, I recommend this. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think if... Do you have to play the first one? No. Like I play, like I said, I played the first four hours of the first mm -hmm. one before I gave up. And uh, I'm not having any problem keeping up with this one or understanding what's going on. So... Um, it's a it's a triple A horror game, which we don't get that much of these days. There aren't a lot of franchises left, um, and so the timing is good. It came out in October on Friday mm -hmm. the thirteenth. It just came out today. It's and out if there. The past is any indication. Bethesda needs all the help it can get. Yeah, with things that are not Skyrim or Fallout. Seriously, so. uh, but I'm enjoying it, and I think it's great. It came out at the perfect time, Halloween. Everyone's kind of in the spooky mood, uh, wanting to watch scary movies and stuff like that. And uh, it is spooky, and it definitely has a great atmosphere. Um, I think its mechanics help build some of the atmosphere more than the actual yeah. atmosphere itself, but there's something to be said for that. So um, I think it's hard to recommend when you when we were talking earlier about those three games coming out on October 27th. Yeah. Would sure. I recommend it over any of those games? Probably not. Would I recommend it over South Park that I'm playing right now? I can't say. Mm. <laughs> You'll find that out next week. So certainly saying the title doesn't make you grin as much as the South Park title does. No, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean this game wasn't meant to be anything like South Park, and it's not. So yeah, I mean I think overall, you know, Mikami used to be kind of like a god to me. You know, mm -hmm. especially after RE4. I always looked up to him and thought he was one of the best designers in the world. And then RE4 came out and I'm like, oh he he is one of the best designers in the world. His stature with me has definitely fallen off over mm -hmm. the last decade or so. Um, his output has not sort of kept up the standard. Well, nobody remains on top of the world forever. Miyamoto's done a pretty good job. True, but he's got, a, <laughs> he's got an army working for him. He does. I mean, look, there are some... Also, Miyamoto does so many different things. Mikami kind of has the one thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I would say is that, for me, around the RE4 era, Mikami was kind of getting in that rarefied air for me. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, he does horror stuff, but... Man, it's so good, and it's so bleeding edge, and so different, and clever, and it turns out that he wasn't really quite in that class. And there's only five or six guys who are, but for me, he was getting into that rarefied air at that point, mm -hmm. and he just never kind of he went He also did Devil May Cry. Yeah. Yeah. And he disappeared, too. Like, he kind of just went off the radar for a while, and just recently came back, so maybe he's just trying to find his chops again, I don't know, but... If you like horror games, this is probably going to be one of your best uh, bets for 2017, to be honest with you. I do love horror games, and I play almost all of them. And certainly this... sounds like if you like this, the old-style survival horror concept, this is the only game in town. It is kind of the only game in town. I mean, Resident Evil Revelations 1 mm -hmm. and 2 are getting ready to come out for Switch. Neither of those games are as good as this. So don't, don't buy Revelations. Buy this instead. I will say that much. So 
And if you like horror games, you don't have a lot of choice anymore. Right. And I mean, it's, it's at least it's not like kind of like things like Outlast 2 or like those. Yeah. Where it's more like running from things and. Oh, you run. You are running from things, but it's <laughs> not as did. it's not as much as like. Um, Managing inventory is more of a, a walking simulator with right. threats. Yeah, you know what that's I mean? a good way to put it. Yeah. And uh, this is much more of an old-school... Like, Action-oriented, yeah. yeah. You get more of an RE vibe from this than you do from kind of those I indie... That. I don't know if I or... feel the need to get, go back to that, but I appreciate that they did it. Some people do that. Some people love that stuff. And this will definitely give you that vibe. So I recommend it for old RE fans. Folks, it's time for our trailer of the week. And it is a trailer for a game that we, I think it was just like a month and a half ago we had a trailer for this game, but I am pushing this game on you. I am, <laughs> I try to use Game Face as a vehicle to get you guys to check out games that are different, unique, um, that are pushing the envelope a little bit. And the more I look at this game, the more I think this is kind of one of those ones to keep an eye on. Is the, it your new rhyme? What? My is new it, rhyme? Is, it, is your new yeah, rhyme? You're looking forward to rhyme for a long, long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that yeah. worked out. <laughs> It is a R-I-M-E, not, not... Yeah, yeah. I was R-O-R. like, wait a minute, a rap? I'm like, I, I didn't work on anything, but maybe I can freestyle. I need to freestyle? Like, we're doing... We nah. call it Eminem, he's right outside. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a trailer for a game called Echo. And essentially in this game, it's a stealth game where the enemy is yourself. And your your main character basically gets cloned, and then you have to avoid clones of yourself and they they mimic your behavior so the Mm. game watches what you do as you play and then tries to create a clone that does exactly what you do and then you have to go against your own nature to try to succeed at the game i think it's a crazy unique concept and here is this gameplay trailer can you see any structures on the planet it's all one big structure planet-wide, all the way to the core. I'll be there. Are you getting all this? I'm with you. It seems familiar, somehow.
remember that game now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't recognize it when you mentioned it, but then it's when a it very generic running. name. But uh, I highly recommend going on Sifted and checking it out and following it. So some of you may not know, but you can follow games on Sifted. Just go to his game page, click the gear next to its title, and click follow. And then anytime something new is released for this game, it'll be put at the top of your Sift so you can't miss it. Already tons of media for the game on the site. Go check it out. We don't have a ton of time, so we can't answer a ton of questions. Also, uh, we're starting to sort of go through our Patreon rewards right now. And uh, we are over this weekend, I will be doing Ask, Ask Shane Anything. Uh, and there are already literally like 50 questions for Ask Shane Anything. So uh, I'm not going to burn a ton of time doing Q&A here. Plus, we're way, way over for this episode. So we'll answer a couple here. Um, and here's one I'm glad somebody asked. Uh, the Abram, what do you guys think about IGM buying Humble Bundle? I wanted to put it in the show, yeah. but it was too late. And, like, I already had it done. Detail yet, yeah. Really. Um, well, I guess it was a good ride. <laughs> for who? For, for a while, <laughs> Both. you know, for people who liked Humble Bundle for a while. Yeah. I mean, I know they said that, that like, it's going to be, you know, oh, as long whatever. as it's going all right, it's still, you know, no reason to change anything. Like, okay, I mean, I've heard that before. Uh, we've heard that before yeah. when we were bought by various yep. entities back in the day. And if you have any doubts about that, ask them how Direct2Drive is going. Yeah. Because IGN bought them and said roughly the same thing, and that didn't work out too well. Yeah. I, think, I love Humble Bundle, and I'm very so concerned I. about this. Oh, look, I love Humble Bundle, and I love IGN. Like, right. IGN's been around forever. Without IGN, our industry probably wouldn't continue to exist the way it does. But I think this is a huge mistake by IGN. Uh, I get why they're doing it. Financially, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And look, Humble Bundle is a great company that you feel good supporting because a lot of the money that it generates goes to charity, and I totally get that. But this is a huge conflict of interest for IGN. You can't build your editorial backbone on evaluating products and then sell the products. You can't do it because then it starts to call into question of, oh, well, they gave this game a high score and they have, now suddenly there's a sale on that game on Humble, Humble Bundle. You, you just can't allow those questions to even enter your stratosphere when you're trying to build strong editorial. Even so, if it never happens. Even if it never happens. Just the question mm. that it's there is just, it's bad. Um, and look, I'm not even going to begin to know what happened. Look, the editorial team could have maybe gone to management and been like, don't do this. You're going to ruin our editorial integrity. They could. I have no idea what happened over yeah, there. I you just, can't forget that IGN is a giant company. It is. I mean, it has become a gigantic company. It has an office here in LA that's probably twice the size of Game Trailers ever was. Mm -hmm. Not kidding. Like, they have an office here that's like the size of our G4 office almost, yeah. minus like the studios or whatever. So IGN has become a behemoth. And that doesn't change anything as far as what I'm talking about, No, though. but it's just, like, one of those things where, like, if that one part of this giant behemoth decides it wants to do a thing, the other sides they may, not have, very may little, not have input on it. Very little sway on it. So uh, maybe IGN's editorial did go out and say, hey, this is a bad idea. It's going to mm -hmm. jeopardize our editorial integrity and make they people They do seem question. to be trying to get out ahead of the idea of, like, oh, they're just going to keep doing what they're doing, and we're going to keep doing what we're doing. But it's like, well, then what's the, what's the point? I mean, I... Yeah. I well, they want the money. Right, they want the money. <laughs> like, it's just, um, I mean, I, I know the people that do stuff over there. And I, I'm, I'm sure it will not impact. Like yeah. you, but like you say, you, just don't you can, want you can to ask the question. Yeah. You can ask the question, and that 
counts for something. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens because certainly we've been on the receiving end of a lot of acquisitions where it, you know many statements were made about how oh we bought it because we love it and we don't want it to change because right. we want to go and like within a year it all changed. It was all different. Well, maybe now GameSpot will buy GameStop. And everybody who switches up those names will stop being wrong forever. Yeah, I can just yeah, I just don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, let's see, maybe one more. I'm sorry, guys, but we're way over time here. Um, Drunken Elvis Shane will be working for IGN in six months. <laughs> Highly doubtful. Um, Vox ninety one. Given the way the big budget game market is changing, do you think we could ever see developers? Make sense of games with a specific style as opposed to having a style tied to a franchise. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure I follow that question. I think I get it. It's kind of like a um, series of games with a specific style. So like kind of like an anthology series where like it's not maybe named the same, but the, the company has like a house style. Like um, mark. Yeah, kind of like that. Or like... Um, Huh. I, I mean, like rare, I guess. You know, where everything's kind of got a look, but you know, something as as different as Banjo Two, Banjo Kazooie, and Conquer both kind of have a similar yeah house style to but them. But what's the question, though? Could they ever do that? Who? Uh, a big budget <laughs> company. I I I feel like uh, that's too not risky, but I feel like that's too. A big budget company for a big budget project would see that as not lacking market continuity. I think you you wouldn't be able to to be sure you could message to people uh, that these two things were related in some way. But I, I think companies do have a like developers at least do tend to have a house style if they work in a particular kind of of animation. And kind I think of most game. studios just have a house style. Period. Yeah. Uh, some of them are more overt than others. House Marks is like blatant. Sure. It's like rescue the humans, voxels, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of the other studios do it a little more covertly. Yeah. Like Capcom's they'll just hide kind of with Easter eggs like and stuff like that. Yeah. And then like, but then like you get like Insomniac, I would say doesn't have one. Insomniac can do stuff as diverse as Ratchet and Clank all the way up to Spider Man. But uh, yeah, I, th I think that does happen. But I don't know if that's uh, something that like a big budget studio would uh, would uh, uh, pursue intentionally. I don't. I that feels like it would be risky, and th those big companies don't like risky. No, that's I would, for I, sure. I would like to see. I mean, that sounds like an interesting idea. Uh, let's see if we can find one more because I don't feel like we did a good job with that one. Um. How about Justin Horman, what is a game that you find very difficult and one in which you often find yourself failing but enjoy playing it so much you find yourself coming back to it often? Cuphead. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I've been, I've been trying to get through that game uh, ever since the stream. And uh, I, I maybe make it through one level every time I play it. Mm -hmm. um, I would say online Street Fighter. No, <laughs> I, I am, I am a fine Street Fighter player. You're overall. a very good Street Fighter player. Uh, not if I go online, yeah. I'm not. I mean, I get destroyed on like as soon as I hit ranked, like forget it, like it's over. Um, like on Street Fighter Five, maybe I win like one out of ten matches. Yeah, if I'm lucky. it's crazy how good like, some people, people are. Really are. It's really nuts. That's kind of like my my fighting game uh, limbo is I'm like good enough that I like casuals don't like playing with me, but I'm not good enough to play with the really good people. So yeah. I just sort of like sit there and like 
don't play it. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even bother playing fighting games online anymore. It's just it's total destruction. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes and like the one the one times I do win, it's usually because I get matched up with someone that clearly doesn't know what they're doing, and there's right. no satisfaction in that. Yeah, yeah. So. Like I'll play against people if they're like they'll message me and say, "Hey, you want to play some Street Fighter yeah. or whatever?" Then I'll yeah. jump on and I'll play. But just jumping into the servers and being like, match me up with somebody? Forget yeah. it. But yeah, periodically, periodically I will go online and bang my head against that wall. But that's, that's, yeah. probably, that's probably what I'd pick for the answer for that. All right. It's time to wrap up some more Patreon stuff. Um, it's time to finally give our $30 tier their reward. Bring it up, Sam. Everyone who's contributed $30 a month or more to our Patreon, it's time for you to get your credit with the Give Me Credit reward. I'm going to share every single person who has hit that level or higher on our Patreon. And then going forward, everybody who's mentioned by name on the show will be added to a credit roll at the end of every episode. But we will always announce, but my, me personally, I will always announce every new person who joins that tier or higher. So let's go. Thank you to each and every one of you from the very bottom of my heart. Ryan, Willie Cecil, Ash Westar, and I hope I don't get too many of these wrong. I know I'm going to. I'm going to do my best. Cubes to Camel, Jonathan and Amy Alconis, Jesper, Daniel Parsons, Pain of Demise, Tom Duvac. What's that one? Yodel? Yodel game? Yeah, I think so. Yodel, yay! <laughs> Yodel Gaming. Kevin Rafa, Ryan Anderson, Sven Wolfenman, Edgardo Adano. I like that name. That sounds like a professional wrestler's name or something. <laughs> Emmanuel Wood, Justin Horman. What's up, Justin? Sir Knits a Lot. <laughs> that person right. likes to knit. <laughs> That's great. Royden, Alan Sheriff, Joshua P. Morgan, Brent Phillips, our very own Brent. Thank you mm. very much, man. I really appreciate you kicking into the cause. Nick Free, Tony Barrera, Barrera, Casey Moore, Juan Iobo, Terrence Eddy, Sound Wizard, Ali T, Jeff Lynn, Doug DeShazer, Michael S. Clark, Jesse Riusalo. I'm doing my best. Hmm. <laughs> Matthias Norman, Anthony Gale, Evan Piotrowski, the stand user, I believe, Alex Naveau, George Chumikov, Steven Insler. Vladimir Mikulovsky. I think I did wow. okay with that yeah, one. That was all right. Yeah. <laughs> Murat Yilmaz. Nicholas Diorenzo, one of my buddies from the Philly days. Thanks, Nick. Sean Eipert. Charles Overbeck. Canaran. Daniel Rosencrans. David Berde. Is that Berde or Bird? I would guess Berde, but I don't I know. I got it right the first time. David Collier. Freeze frame rate. Simon Habib. Abdul Fata Nakiti, Andre Sweet, Mark Major, Marcus Benavides, and Francis Flores. You guys are all awesome. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. You guys are awesome. Um, I should also add that we have been doing the random drawings for our Patreon. Uh, so the first contestant for Beat Shane has been selected, and I'm not going to spoil who it is. Uh, we have the first gameplay session set up for next week, either on Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, it'll be a big surprise. Obviously, our patrons will get access to that first, uh, followed by everybody else, but eventually everyone will get to watch it. 
And we also tried to select the first person uh, from the co-host here, uh, but that person was unavailable to come on the show, and we're trying to get them... I think they may have a little bit of stage fright as well. Mm. Um, so we're trying to get them to maybe just record their question on their cell phone and send us the file, but all that stuff is in the works. It's been actually really exciting to work on all this uh, Patreon stuff over the last week or so and kind of sorting it all out. So uh, more stuff to come, but that's all in the works right now. So, yeah, I think that's it. Sponsor. Oh, yeah, we have a sponsor. Extra Turns. ExtraTurns.com. I wonder how they got that URL, actually. That seems like it would have been gone a long yeah. time ago. Good job. Maybe they they paid for it though. Uh, Extraturns.com. Your games deserve more. There's so many stores and sites that will charge you ten, maybe fifteen percent or more for the privilege of selling a used game. I almost have this memorized now. By the way, we charge zero. They charge zero. I always to say we, but it's really they, right? Mm-hmm. They charge zero. Extraturns.com is a brand new marketplace being built from the ground up, so you can sell your games, collectibles, electronics, and memorabilia. Not only will they they beat their competitors' commission in every category important to you, but they will also make exchanging your used games commission-free. You get 100% of the value of your collection, sign up for the pre-launch, and share us on social media to be entered to win an SNES Classic this holiday season, extraturns.com. Go register, people. Support our sponsors. Really appreciate it. So that's it. Boy, this is, a, this may, is this the longest episode ever? I don't know. When did we start? This is three hours. Oh, this is yeah. just three hours. Yeah. Well, <laughs> three That's all it is. Uh, again, I want to thank all our patrons for helping with us. If you're watching this on YouTube after uh, it's been up for our patrons, please consider supporting us. If you watch Pactor Factory, you watch Game Face. Um, this stuff doesn't come for free, so yeah. you should add a tier on uh, a donation tier on Patreon, where uh, if you get to a certain level you can then uh, uh, dictate that we argue about loot boxes again <laughs> i think some people are going to want that some people are going to want to donate money to this so that we never talk about loot boxes ever again oh that's a good one <laughs> like a like a warring donation thing that's actually a pretty good idea i don't know if loot boxes are going to do it but maybe we can find something else you could call but... just call it let them fight <laughs> But uh, thanks for all your support, everyone. You guys have been great, you know, especially the people who are on our stream every week and uh, the on-site supporters of Sifted. You guys have been awesome throughout this whole process. We appreciate it. Uh, everybody have a great weekend. Game Face is up and out!